up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by ArtofMagic.com. Our guest for this episode is the legendary bar magician, Doc Eason. He's known, of course, for his magic at the Tower Comedy and Magic Bar in Snowmass, Colorado, but he's also well known for his card under drink and many other uh, classic magic plots. In this episode, we talk about David Letterman, Burning Man, his anniversary waltz project, and a lot more. This is a super fun episode. Doc happened to be down in San Diego, and we had a good time hanging out for most of the day. And then we went and saw a comedy show that night, so I got a good long day with Doc. He doesn't have any effects on the site for me to plug, but it is Chad Long's birthday today, so you can go and use Cheesy MTP. That's Cheesy MTP, all caps, on artofmagic.com, and you can get 20% off of Chad Long's material. Of course, if you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder and Instagram.com slash Mystery. I also just made an Instagram for this podcast because apparently that's a thing. So Instagram.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast. You can also give us a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast and Facebook.com slash Mystery. I think you've got your social media tasks cut out for you. Join our newsletter, go to the site, and use Cheesy MTP to get 20% off Chad's material, and enjoy Doc's episode. Uh, I'm currently in a hotel in Las Vegas. I've been recording podcasts all week, so we've got some cool stuff coming up. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. Okay, bye. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you speak up just a bit for the mic? You can sit back, just project a little bit more, and we will, we're good to go. So we leave the um, leave the hood on, so he doesn't see the, uh, the bottom uh, drop on. <laughs> yeah, I can take it off if you want, but uh, it, it, yeah, if it records through there, I don't know. Yeah, it does. I just you know some people find that with the bag on, they're a little more comfortable. They're not thinking about it this much. This is not my first rodeo. It's okay. Well, we'll take it off. Ooh, look at that now. Holy cow. Is. All right. Wonderful fellas. All right, so do we have the, um, is it rolling, Bob? It is. So I'll lead it off and uh, we'll take it down the road. Oh, we're going. We're, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here we are in Elliot's uh, recording studio. Yeah, my, uh, my living room. <laughs> well, yes. The warehouse for Rocky Mountain Magic is my kitchen. So, uh, you know, like, they want this, that, you know. Um, so yeah, so we're sitting here, and I had, I've just completed a uh, uh, a little show that Elliot came along on, and um, this was um, in a sorority house, so it wasn't hard to get Elliot to want to go along on this thing. A bunch of 22, 23, 24-year-old girls that are whew, absolutely gorgeous, and the dorm, the sorority mother in the house, Alpha Phi. Um, is an old college sweetheart of mine, and so we've hooked up over the year after 40 years of not talking to each other. Um, and um, so I'm still kind of sweet on her, so figured I'd throw a, a show at him and uh, bamboozle her and the girls at the same time. So I think we had a good time, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was a very interesting audience. They were very hard to get off the ground. Elliot and I have been talking about what, what was the problem. I mean, they were... I call it the brick in the forehead kind of reaction. You know, you take a brick, you smash them in the forehead with it, and 
they're just shell shocked. They don't know exactly how to how to respond. And so that's what was the issue with this particular crowd is I wasn't getting the feedback that I sometimes get, but I'm used to it. I mean, the crowds would be at the tower up in Snowmass, you know, and they'd say, wow, that was a great show. And I'd say, really, what show did you just see? I mean, the one I was just in? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. And they say, uh, oh, well, you sure had your hands full with that blonde in the front row. And I go, I did? Uh, oh, yeah. It was, I, I like it when people, you know, when I have to go off script and I have to, you know, kind of, Tell them, whip them into something. Yeah, I gotta, gotta tell them it's okay to laugh, it's okay to applaud, it's all, you know, and so you have to. Part of it is uh, the fact that many people have never seen close-up magic like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, this close-up, and, and you know, I put the ace of spades down and turn it over, and it's the three of hearts. And, and you saw the reaction for those girls. That that's just a simple transposition. But it goes back to one of the things, I think it's one of the, the transposition in a bar situation is about as good as you can, you know, about as strong as you can get. Because they're watching me real close. Oh, yeah, I know a couple of tricks. Yeah. Give me the deck. Oh, shit. Okay, three rows of seven. You go, know, fuck. <laughs> um, but. Um, uh, well, it goes back to what you mentioned in the car, which is that, you know, people today don't necessarily know how to be an audience, especially people as young as. Who you're just performing for, right? Um, I was getting them, but I just I just wasn't getting the reaction. That, but it didn't bother me because I've been in this place before. You know, we also talked about uh, Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hour rule. You know, um, I've got forty thousand hours on that particular. You know, the, the card in the glass routine, for example. You know, I've got lots of stuff, and so sometimes they react, sometimes they don't. You know, you just push on through. I can do anything for about an hour, you know? Yeah. I want you to entertain the kids. Oh, really? All right, half an hour. All right, well, I can do anything for half an hour, you know? So, but you sort of have to be ready for that kind of dumbfounded reaction, but it's okay. It's well, yeah, it took, them, it took them a little bit to kind of get into it and get comfortable with it, but once they did, I mean, they were, they were great. They were definitely engaged. They were definitely watching everything, and they were, you know, aside from every once in a while when I say, you know, better put that phone away, I better be about your heart transplant, you know, all these different lines that come out over the years. Um, yeah, I, I, I got them. It was fine. And besides, uh, you know, for the amount of money I was getting paid for the thing, it's fine, you know? <laughs> Well, and I think probably it also has to do with the fact that, you know, we were in a sorority house. These are 19, 20, 21-year-old girls that are very self-conscious of their behavior. And so... That's very true. That's you know, true. they kind of had to warm up to the idea that they could react, yeah, I feel like. If I, if I laugh, am I going to be singled out or something, you know? So yeah. They, you know, so they were naturally holding back, but it was still fun. And, um, and it gave you a chance to see... You know the act again under you know and this was uh, again I remember when we walked in there you know I'm as soon as we hit the front door I'm looking around thinking well where are we going to do this you yeah know, they're all going to be around the thing around the fireplace well that doesn't work very well you know and so we just chose a long table and made an extra long bar an eight foot table and it doesn't have to be bar height it's nice if it is but it doesn't certainly doesn't have to be um, but it's you know almost every time I go to a private home. First thing I got to do is figure out where we're going to do this thing and how, you know, with a minimum. We can move all the furniture out and put. No, no, no. How do we do this with keeping it simple? You know? Yeah. Um, but that particular layout was perfect. You know, and I was able to get the whole front row and the last trick with the multiple selection. You know, I get everybody's name. Yeah. Which is, which again, pulls it back to that, the original thing. It's not, 
Maya Angelou had a great quote. He said, people don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And, and I don't know how to make anybody feel any better than by calling them by name. Um, it's the sweetest sound in the world to somebody is their exactly, own name. Dale Carnegie, exactly. And, and uh, when you do that, when I, when I do that trick, you know, 15 cards out, you know, I go back and I get all the cards. Later when they think about it, they go, God, he got all the cards. But he remembered everybody's name too, and that's what people remember. And so as opposed to a memorable uh, set of magic, what's going to make it memorable to them? That he suddenly knew everybody's name in the room it was unbelievable. So I get, I get a lot more credit for that. And people don't understand how, I, I, I think that most magicians don't quite understand the power of that. Um, I've done countless lectures that we talked about. You know, I've been doing magic for, I mean, lectures for over 30 years. And um, uh, people, you know, I get letters every now and then and note, emails back from people saying, uh, I heard what you said about remembering people's names, so when I went to the restaurant tonight to do my shift, I made a point of remembering at least one person at every table and called them by name back and forth. And it's just like that where the chemistry changes in the room, you know? Yeah. So, you know, look how clever I am, okay? No, really, what's your name and where are you from? They don't care how clever you are. They really don't. Um, you can maybe bamboozle them and they can kind of go, oh, wow, you're doing shit that I don't even understand. But... But the thing that's really going to connect to them, what's, how is it going to do that? Chanting someone's name, Kaylee, Kaylee, Kaylee. Everybody in the room is involved. You all have a part in this thing. Yeah. When it comes around again, and it will, jump on, you know. Um, it becomes an experience where they're involved instead of just being watch. passive exactly. watchers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what magic, you know, that's what magic bar is, is uh, especially suited for. Because it's not about the tricks, it's about the connection you're making up and down the line. Oh, by the way, I see you're empty. Can I get you another drink? No, suddenly there with a, it's like, like cheers. Everybody wants to go, everybody knows your name. Well, I just, and again, in a bar situation, if I get Kaylee's name out and you're in the back of the room going, oh, her name is Kaylee, huh? Afterwards, you go, hey, Kaylee, wasn't that great? Okay. I know, I was sitting in the back trying to remember everybody's yeah. name. Yeah, <laughs> so, so at the end of it, this, you know, I don't know, that old dewy eyed, you go, oh my God, and, you know, calling them by name just touches them in the heart. Um, so, um, connection is, to me is more important than the material, you know, it's not about the tricks. Um, and in bar, bar magic especially, they can't have the count out seven piles of 14, you know, like Jesus, it's got to be, you know, I put the ace here and it changes into the three. Yeah, Bam. keep them engaged. Oh, yeah, they don't, and I'm like, wait a minute, and surprise them. And um, couple that with a lot of humor, a lot of one-liners, and... Um, that incidentally have come a lot of the time from my audiences. You know, the other night when I told you at the castle, I had two, in one set, I had two different lines because they said something and everybody laughed. Well, that's how I built the fluff on my act over 40 years is like, that's a funny line. Tomorrow night, I'm going to say that line because you're not going to be here and I'm going to get credit for it. So that's where a lot of those lines come from. It's just repetition. And, um, but every once in a while, somebody drops a new line on you. It's, it's, just, it's wonderful when that happens. It's fun. Um, at the cabin, you know, in the later years of the tower, I had somebody working with me, a backup bartender that did all the heart heavy lifting, you know, all the drink making and carrying the ice and taking the trash out and all that other stuff. Um, the, my current situation in Snowmass is much different than the tower. Um, but it's just basically uh, two six foot tables that are end to end.
uh, put them up on stilts, and uh, so I've got a 12-foot bar. But I don't dispense any whiskey there. The bar's over there. The bar in the place called the Stone Bridge in Snowmass, where I'm working now. And uh, I'm just sort of off in the corner of the, of the bar because the bar is not conducive to it. Um, it's it's uh, there's, a, there's two bars. They're parallel. So everybody's kind of looking at each other, you know, over where the bartender sits. So there's no real way to do that. So I set up these tables uh, to simulate a bar. you got to go over there and, and, and get the drink, but then you come right back and now you're in the front row where we have cocktail waitresses swinging the stuff. But it's funny, I told them, I said, you know, you're missing the boat. I can sell my shift pay, you know, if I just have, you know, if that's some... It was too hard for them to, to fathom. So I said, you know, it's a lot easier for me not to do that. That's fine, you know. But the whole idea of magic bar is not to do magic. It's about selling whiskey. Yeah. Because... And the, keeping people at the bar. And keeping them at the bar and keeping them drinking. So whether they, you know, they usually finish up dinner and they go home, well, they might want to stop in the bar and have one more. Oh, well, maybe we'll have another one because we're having so much fun. And that's where the real value of a magic bar is, is that keeping them there, keeping, keeping the drinks flowing, keeping the money going. Because the manager, the owner of the bar does not care that you have 77 decks of cards or that you have seven different ways to do triumph, you know. They don't care how clever you are. They want to see that bottom line. They want to see that the, the money. So it becomes more. Uh, it becomes more than just a guy behind the bar doing tricks. It's, it's a whole personality piece. You get the whole thing, you know. Going. So um, anyway, that's hard to duplicate. I've had countless people come up to me. I own a bar in Dallas. We're going to fly you down there, and we're going to put you in the bar down there. You get in there, and you realize that oh my God, this you know, this is terrible. You know, they got the glasses and the racks above there, you know, so suddenly you're working out of a postal window as opposed to work in the room. It's yeah. tough. Uh, so it, it doesn't automatically... Translate. Exactly. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the geography of the bar, um, or anybody who designs a bar doesn't design it with a guy like me involved, you know. Where's the best place to put the speed well? Right here. Well, this happens to be the best place to work the entire room, but I'm in the guy's way. So now I got to get out of the corner, and I'm only working, you know, seven or eight people as opposed to work in the room. So, it, you know, it, it, the concept is not automatically transferred just because you think it's a good idea. Um, it's tough. Um, and serendipitously, the tower was set up perfectly, and we ended up, you know, early on in my tower days, we built a thing that made it kind of up and up and up, so that it was not tiered, not it wasn't like bleachers. But it did, you know, the people in the back row could stand on the, you know, they could, everybody could see pretty well. And that's another thing for doing magic in the bars. There's a lot of chemistry going on in the bar. The people trying to pick other people up. This guy's drunk. This guy's waiting for dinner. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so um, you just have to be sensitive to all of that stuff. And it's, just, it's, it's not just an automatic drop in pee. I make it look real easy because I've been doing it for as long as I have. It's like going to the ice capades. Oh, look at that ice skater. I think I could do that. Oh, yeah? Put a pair of skates on there and suddenly, you know, this is tougher than I thought. Yeah. And um, watching a lot of close-up magicians work the Magic Castle, for example, they're doing their close-up act behind the bar. Well, uh, I suppose it may work, but again, I told you the story about this guy at the castle who went for eight minutes before he asked the person their name. And I'm dying. I'm just dying. Because they don't give a shit about what you know what you're doing, and you know unless you can connect with them a little bit. Oh, really, Louisiana? Really? Where about really North? Oh, yeah. I, you know, you know, I've been around the country. I you know, so I can 
speak uh, intelligently about different areas and the, the, the steakhouse that was there, you know, is that, you know, whatever, some landmark deal. They care more about that than the fact that you you just cut the four aces. You know? Why? Yeah. I mean, why should I be impressed? It's about the context of the bar. It's so much less formal than, like, for example, at the Magic Castle, being in the close-up room. Yes. You come out, you're on the stage, you know, air quotes, and you're the performer, and you're not supposed to ask the people's name unless they're helping you with the trick. But at the bar, right. you're creating a good time for everybody, and it's much less formal. That's another reason they throw me into the bar down there, because <clears throat> I have a hard time with 20-minute shows. 20 minutes, you know? Hey, what's your name? Louisiana? No kidding. Where'd you go to school? Oh, I know. So, you know, you know. Well, suddenly there's three minutes taken up by just getting to know people's names and getting a little background on it. So I have a hard time in the close-up room. I don't, I don't like that constrained thing. I got to get out there. I got to speak. Thank you very much. Once over, you know. So my sets at the bar down at the WC Fields Bar at the Castle often go, you know, 35, 40 minutes, you know. Uh, and I always make I do give the caveat at the outside that this is the only showroom in the castle that doesn't have a start time and an end time. We just roll. You're here, I do some stuff. You're not here, I go back out uh, outside and shoot up, uh, <laughs> which always gets a laugh for some reason. Um, I said I got plenty of stuff to do if you need to leave, but, but if you're here, we'll do some tricks. And so that kind of open. That being said, if you look at your clock and you go, oh my god, I'm supposed to be in the pillar or the parlor or the vessel with a pestle, the brother's true, whatever, whatever. Um, you can um, uh, you can come and if you look down you got to, you're supposed to be go. People have been walking out of my act for years. I'm not I'm not sensitive. I'm used to it in fact. So with all those all those lines, I get to like hopefully get the message across with a little humor involved in it, and also let them know that you're not pinned here. You can leave anytime you want to. But oftentimes they have more fun down there than they have in any of the other showrooms upstairs. Not to say that the guys upstairs aren't talented. Um, some of them are. Some of them, but. They're more involved. There's not involved. A, there's not another show in the castle like mine, which yeah. is um, just why I keep coming back and why they keep having me back, and it's fun. Um, I love the idea of walking in there and going, "How many people first time in the Magic Castle?" And more than half the room, and almost every audience, more than half the room raises their hand. Oh, God, I remember my first night at the castle. I walked in and it was just like stars in my eyes and this huge place you know now that you're into it you know i've been into it for as long as i have it's pretty not that big but it, for the first time there it's almost overwhelming to a to a guy that that hasn't done much back background search on the place and so they wow all this stuff going on they don't know what to expect other than to expect good magic so it's, we were speaking earlier about people that go in and they work on their new material at the castle and it just to me it's never felt right well, yeah, I, I saw a guy whose work I admired greatly, but it was Christmas time last year, and the, the crowds were just huge. And he chose that particular time to try a bunch of different stuff. And I saw his show. I've seen his, I've seen his, the other show, the A material, but kills with it. He's kills with it. It's the stuff he's been doing for forty years. But he reaches in, and gets you know, I want to work on this new thing. It's really it. it, it you know, if I pick up a new routine, which I don't, I'm not, I'm always working on something just to keep my mind busy. But in terms of a new piece that I'm going to put in there, I don't, there's not that much I'm going to, you know, because I, I can already go three hours anyway. How much longer do I want? What's that one trick that's going to make me a star, you know? Well, um, 
but um, I'm sorry, I lost I lost the plot there for a second. We were, we were talking about um, people coming in and doing their B and C material right. instead of fulfilling the idea that it's the magic castle and it's the epicenter of what magic is supposed to right. be. Right. If this is your first time at the castle, you deserve to see kick-ass magic. I'm going to put you in the ditch. You're going to be bleeding by the time you're, you know, and it's going to be so much fun. Why do I want to go in there and try something brand new? Now, that being said, the bar situation is a perfect thing to try something new, right? But you couch it in between these two pieces that are set. You know that these are kick-ass things. Hey, they already like you. You mind if I try something new on you? Oh, no, go ahead. All right. And so you, you can get flight time on it, but to do an entire new act in it, I think you're shortchanging yourself as a performer and the audience just you're cheating them out of the thing that they're not seeing the A material. Um, we all need some place to be bad. Okay, we've heard that phrase before. Yeah. <clears throat> Castle is not a place to be bad. You know, yeah. Castle is a place to show off the, the jewel. Look at that. Bam. Yeah. Fabulous. So, and a lot of, a lot of these people, this is the first, the first and only time they'll be at the castle. So why do you want to do something that's not up to speed? Um, you want some place to be bad? Go to the sorority house. Yeah. You know? I mean, I wish I had a sorority house near me that I could go and hang out. I'd probably get arrested, though. Um, um, but, yeah, so uh, I think um, they're shortchanging themselves as a performer because, you know, they walk away going, well, the guy wasn't that good. Yeah. He's really good, but he just didn't do the stuff that made him really good. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's uh, my take on uh, B and C material. You need to buff that stuff up now and then, but if you throw it in between other known pieces, even if you just screw it up, let me. And one of my favorite lines is, "Let me do one I know." <laughs> yeah, right? that's great. Because yeah. that gets exactly the reaction it just got from you. I'm human. I fucked it up. Yeah. Uh, can I say that on the, on the you air? You can. Um, yeah. So all my he screwed up, you know. And either you try and rescue this, or you go, well, yeah. Fuck it. We'll move on. Let to me the next do one I know. Okay. And, and and a lot of times when I'm doing the, that whole thing where I said I'm not setting these cards up, I'm just putting them where they need to go. I am putting them where they need to go. But that particular phrase is funny. It is. You know. Um, and if the guy's really concerned about that, that thing, I just go, it's a trick. You're going to like it. Don't worry about it. You know. And that's that's kind of the attitude that I picked up from Bob Sheets and J.C. Wagner, was. They're sitting out there at the bar, you know. You fuck up the trick, they're not going to just pick, oh, that's it, I'm leaving now, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, what else you got? Show me something else. So you do have leeway to, to play with stuff, but, um, you know, just put it in between two other pieces that you know are just going to drop them to their knees, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, the bar is a great place to, to, to work. Um, there are pitfalls to it. Um, one of them is all that booze is back there. Wow. What's tonight going to be? Rum night? Okay. I mean, uh, if there's countless stories about, you know, Bert Allerton and uh, um, Francis Carlyle, you know. These are all huge names, in the, but they were drunks. Yeah. Um, apparently, I mean, I've heard horror stories about Francis Carlyle, you know. And they're in, in the castle, you know, because this was... 50 years ago, but, um, you know, just being so shit-faced that they, they can't complete the thing. The material is strong, they work in the place, you know, it's good, but, you know. So alcohol is, you have to come to terms with alcohol. Um, 
And generally what I do these days is I have a soda water and bitters uh, with a lime in it. So it looks like I'm drinking a cocktail. It looks like brown whiskey. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody asks me that, I'll tell them that, you know. Well, it depends. I, I, you know, I tell them a straight Jack Daniels. You want one? You know, that, that's a lead into it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen people nursing drinks. You're trying to bring this one back to life. Come on, let's order some. Come on. You know, again, these are all jokes that I picked up in joke books a long, long time ago. But they all encourage drinking and they all, you know, bring it back to, oh, as long as you're here, why don't you have a drink, you know. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to drink. There's a guy behind you drinking shivas that can't get to the bar to see the show. And you're nursing a Coca-Cola? Come on. Oftentimes, well, doesn't happen anymore, really. But at the tower, I would shame them into you know, either order something or get off the front row. I mean, this is not <laughs> the free show's over. Okay, and again, you know, I, 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 it's to gently remind them that it, it's a bar. We encourage drinking, and if you want to throw some money over the bar, that's good too. You know, um, and that's the other thing. Being a, in a resort area like Aspen, mm-hmm. yeah. Aspen's a cut above, you know. You go to any uh, tourist place, Orlando, well, guess who's going to be in the audience? Kids. Kids are going to be in there because it's a family resort. Stumbass a family resort, and, I, and I, I had my fair share of kids, but we learned at the bar that, I, I'm sorry, uh, Colorado state law states that no, no one under 21 could be at the bar. Well, that's not really true. I mean... There's no Colorado State law except when, we're, when you know, we get instituted there. But that keeps the kids off the bar. So they're not suddenly pilling, spilling Coca-Cola on your cards and the guy in the back drinking shivas that can't get to the bar. So you have to manage that situation too. But um, So yeah. So um, well, you mentioned um, people have been walking out on your act for years. My question is, how do you know... Like so, let's let's say at the castle, your show doesn't have a start time, doesn't have an end time. How do you know when to end the show? Oh well, uh, when I say it doesn't have a specific start time end time, I know that the card under glass. If I take it from the initial taking the cards out and doing that shuffle thing that I did today um, to the three card Monty, which is at the far end, that's about thirty five minutes with the card mansion. Mm-hmm. Not every group will sit there. Oh, and you can sort of see them drifting away. I could, I, I could see a couple of them drifting away when I was talking about the slap shuffle and stuff. Um, I got them back because when I spread the cards out, he's the only one. Up, <gasps> you know, okay, I got them back. But yeah, I can sort of see it. Um, the card in the glass uh, routine is modular, though. I can stop that at almost any time. Yeah. I can get another drink twice, three times, boom. That's about all you need to do. I continue to beat them to death, and I put there six or seven times. The last one being the one that multiple selection in your card shows. Oh, my God, the last thing. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Um, which just brings that whole thing to a uh, nice thing. But oftentimes, I don't get to the multiple selection. That was the first time I had seen the multiple selection. Uh-huh. Okay. I, it, it's difficult at the, t- at the castle because of the way that uh, I can't really – the last person over there is way back there, and I sort of have to turn my head and I say, "Do you, do you, do you see it in there anywhere?" You know, when it's over here. Um, but that's the perfect end uh, parentheses for that trick. Mm-hmm. Under the drink, under the drink, a lot of other stuff. Under the drink again, all all this other stuff, all this other stuff, and now suddenly it's under the drink again. Boom! Thank you very much. So, um, so. Um, I'm not sure where we started on that one. Well, it's just about reading the audience and knowing oh, when to stop. The yeah, that's a, a, what a lot of bar magic is—is is improv. You know, 
There's a lot of jazzing going on. A lot of jazzing going on. Not so much about the material. I know, you know, but again, I can cut that little piece out. I, and I, in, in deference to the sorority mom who was, you know, don't do anything, you know, sexual or gay or anything. <laughs> I'm like, the one time I traversed into that, I got some, I got great. You got a great reaction. I got a great reaction. And I was like, Hinkley, you're being too overprotective. Just stand back over there. But there was a couple of lines where I didn't throw out there. You know, it's uh, um, something about that in the first transposition. You know, it's better if we all get there at the same time. Yeah. Which is a myth, I think, actually. <laughs> Started by a woman. But it's always good to have a target. That way, if you don't hit it, you're still a winner in my book. You know, so I got all these little trails there. I, I left that whole thing out just because I figured that, you know, the, girl, <laughs> the girls would have loved it, but I didn't want to upset Hinkley. So, um, but reading the crowd is is uh, is a, a a big part of it. Which one is the wallflower? Which one doesn't want to be um, have their name chanted? But what one really doesn't want to secretly want to have her, their name chanted at the bar? You know. Yeah. Um, When's the last time you had a crowd of screaming drunk chanting your name at the bar? Oh, last night. Oh, that was you at the frolic room. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, you know, all, the, all these lines just kind of spill out. But, but so you got to figure out the one, and and the other one you got to figure out real early on is also the guy that uh, that knows about it. This is you know talk about heckling. That's a popular question for a lot of people. Going, yeah, you've been in the bar for forty years. You know, how do you handle hecklers? Well, that's not that easy a question to just trot out and answer to because um, if you remember the you know David Letterman and you know how he treated the magicians on there you know mm -hmm. um, he was a he was a bit of a heckler you know early but when he did that week long thing with Carney and Mr and um, Steve Cohen and Ricky he, Jay yeah mm -hmm. well Ricky Jay wasn't in that one but 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 that particular week when he he featured close up magicians. Um, he was more of what I like to call a boisterous participant, okay? Because there's a difference. Heckling is, you suck, get off the stage. Well, that's a heckle. Yeah. Right? Let me shuffle the cards. He's not trying to heckle you necessarily. Uh, he's a participant, and he's right there at the bar. That's another thing. You know, you're not on stage at the improv. You know, you're right there. He's across the bar from you. So you got to deal with this guy. Um and often, you know, I, I, I try not, to, I, I try to approach it with uh, kindness at first. Um, Will Rogers had a great quote. He said, if there's no malice in your heart, there's no malice in your gags. All right. So if you fire back at somebody, you know, and there's not any malice involved. It's just like, where'd you get that shirt to it? You couldn't get one that fit, you know, ha ha ha, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just riffing. Um, uh, it's, it's different than there's not, you know, you suck it off the stage, there's malice involved. You know, I don't like you. You suck it off. Yeah. You know, there's like a judgment it. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, can I shuffle the card? And he's just saying basically what a lot of other people may be thinking, but maybe you know don't want to say that. Mm -hmm. You know, but he does. So fine. You know, how do you deal with that? Well, um, again, it's situational. It's hard. For, there's no hard and fast rules on it. But in the can I shuffle the cards? Well. I mean, we all get that now and again. I'm <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, Kenton Knepper, um, 
uh, in his wonder words, has some great things, you know. Basically, the guy's, you know, let me shuffle the cards. All right, well, you're going from A to B. Suddenly, this guy jumps in front of you, and you're not going to get to B for a second. You've got to deal with this guy. And you could say, no, you can't shuffle the cards. But then he wins. Yeah. Ah, hey, you know, he won't let me shuffle the cards. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. He doesn't know why or what the deal is. But why not glimpse the card? There, shuffle them up. Mm -hmm. uh, let him shuffle. Or yeah. he, uh, one of the one of uh, Kenton's great lines is, uh, uh, "Extend the deck to them." You say, "Well, you, yeah, you can, but do you think it's going to do any good?" Suddenly, that that can short circuit the guy. Yeah, you've uh, taken back the power. Right. Well, or you can, but it's too late. Yeah. What's too late? I don't know, but at least you know I'm, I'm giving you the cards. You want to shuffle them? You know, yeah. You can. I don't think it's going to do any good, but. Because right? then you just go back through, you find the four, you kind of back to the top, you're exactly where you were, but you had this little side trip over here, which is important to, to building the thing. You see that? See how Doc handled that guy? So it suddenly becomes Doc and that guy, or mm -hmm. that kid, or that girl, or whatever the situation is. The show becomes my dealing with them, which is entertaining. Yeah. Much more so than necessarily than just a straight cartridge, straight to finish, you know? So. Um, I chuckled because. Um, you have I, I just when you asked that question I thought about it in this last performance and you had multiple decks of cards on the table so I just in my head just quickly can I shuffle the cards you just toss them one of the other decks on the right. table right. <laughs> go, yeah. here you go play with that yeah that, that, that <laughs> makes as much sense as anything else does you know and then yeah. of course they get the card and you realize that you're dealing with a different deck so they put them down um, yeah um, so whatever they throw at you is not necessarily um, with ill will involved, it's just basically you know they're just challenging you. So to deal with it, yeah. as opposed to like getting letting it rattle you, you yeah. Know? And sometimes, like you said, it's about the intentionality. Sometimes, like comedy hecklers, they're trying to air quotes make the show better, right? You know, let me shuffle the cards to help prove to everyone else that's with me that you can do it with a really shuffled deck. Yeah, you know, that's a different that's a different guy. Yeah, absolutely. But. Um, um, uh, I had a pithy thing to say about that. Back it up. Say, say again what you were, you know, we were talking about. Some that. people are trying to help the show oh, by... Right. Yeah. I know you're trying to help. Yeah. But you're not. <laughs> and then move on from that. And I, I just did that the other night at the castle with this guy. He Again, he wasn't <laughs> bothering me particularly, but, you know... If I've got a you know a series of jokes and you you know, you start talking you step on the punchlines, you know uh, yeah okay I know you think you're helping but you're not okay so mm -hmm. and that usually just shuts them right down yeah uh, unless the guy's drunk so that's another thing you're at a bar they're drinking okay um, early on in my bartending career I really I came across a, there's several levels of drunkenness you know with one drink you become handsome. <laughs> okay. Second drink, you're witty and charming. Okay. The third drink, you're thinking about maybe not having dinner and just having another drink, and then you eventually progress through another couple of stages. But you eventually get to invisible, and then you're bulletproof. Okay. I'm invisible. I can walk right out of here, and no one will ever see me do it. You know, like okay. Or I can walk across this four lanes of highway and not get hit because I'm bulletproof. All right. You know, and if you're dealing with a guy that's invisible or bulletproof, well, then you got a problem. Because he's got no filters, he's just letting it go, and he there's not maybe any malice in there, but there's a lot of alcohol involved. So the way I used to work at the tower was 
I, if it got, and, and I've been told I have amazing tolerance. You know, people, you know, other magicians say I would have, I would have fired that audience a long time ago. You know, but I just, I'm just slogging through it. But if it gets to be too much, then I would just exit the bar. I go. Well, apparently, you guys don't want to see this. All right, I'll take a little break and I'll go around the corner. Yeah. Suddenly, this it's silent. You know, and everybody turns on that guy. You're being a dick. Shut up. Which is better than my coming back and going. I was going to do my asshole limitation, but you beat me to it. All right, this is that's incendiary. That's just throwing gasoline in the fire. Yeah. And now you've got a thing going with this guy, and it becomes it's it's if it's lighthearted, it's entertaining. If there's malice in there, and I'm going slugging, you know, he's getting under my skin, and my blood's coming up, and he's just you know, yeah. Then it becomes it just destroys the show. So I found a long time ago, rather than take that guy on, I'll just walk away. You can let the audience deal with it. Exactly. But at the same time, when I walked around the corner, I'd always pull one of the managers and say, it might be good to call up, you know, call the police. Because Snowmass is a, it's a small resorty little uh, thing. It's not really law enforcement. It's more or less containment up there. Sure. Okay? You're being an idiot, we're going to contain you. Yeah. Okay, so you don't bother anybody else's experience. It, it, so, and oftentimes, boy, the appearance of a gun and a badge and a uniform really makes that guy straighten up a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I'll let him deal with it, you know? He's got more experience dealing with that than I do, and it's going to rattle the shit out of me if I have to deal with this, and I don't want to do that, because even after he leaves, I'm still rattled, and that takes me a long time to get it, and sometimes it never, it never comes back, Yeah, you know? So it's easier to let somebody else deal with the with the problem. Um, but it's okay to play a little bit until you determine what it is, you know, how bad is, how bad is this, Yeah, you know? If we're well, going to get comedy out of it, let's do that. Exactly. You have to milk it. But I think it's also interesting, your your approach to let sort of let the audience deal with it. Of course, you know, if you have to get law enforcement involved. But um, once you get a group of people into that space where they are this one thing that you're interacting with, they don't like to be broken up. Right. So when somebody starts to be an asshole... They all feel it. It feels like they're sick, they're broken, and they have to kind of take care of the, the problem. Right. Uh, Michael Amar in his Magical Arts Journal wrote a really wonderful piece about Magic Bar, and he likened the bartender to being a conductor. It's like all these disparate people come in, all mm -hmm. right? Now, they're sharing an experience in the ski resort, which is nice, so they're all talking about the ski run or all this other stuff, but they're all disparate groups, okay? And so my job is to get them all going in one direction. And once they all get on the train, kick it in the second gear and punch it, man. And suddenly, you know, now you're into the... the, the A gear. train conductor. The train conductor? Yeah. I was thinking an orchestra conductor. That, that's, that's where I was going with it, conducting okay, yeah. the various pieces of it. But you can, you know, the whole idea of getting them all in line and moving them as a unit, mm -hmm. you know? First of all, you have to unify them. Yes. You know, what's your name and where are you from and how to do good? Did you remember the card? You know, mm -hmm. where'd you get that shirt? Oh, we've got the tie. You know, you play that, but it, it, it gets them together into a group and it does exactly what you said. They move as a unit mm -hmm. through this, this roller coaster of fun that we got. But if there's some guy standing there with a waving a flag in the middle of it all, you know, you're in the way. So better let them deal with it if possible. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting, too, because in the bar you have that area where you take these um, these people that don't know each other, these strangers, and you're basically, you're not doing it 
overtly, but you're introducing them to each other and you're making them more comfortable with each other because everybody's, you know, learning, not necessarily learning names, but knowing names. Well, that blonde's name is what, Kaylee? Oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so not, you know, well, they're not all works out, but but you know her name now, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know. Even if the magic wasn't good, I still got her name. Yeah. 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 And maybe you'll get lucky, you know. If you get lucky, let me know. Yeah, I can live vicariously through you, you know. (laughs) At 69 years old, every morning I wake up, I feel like an 18-year-old, but there's never one around. Um, but that, I was around a whole bunch of 20. I was, that was the other thing. I'm, you know, I, has anybody, how old, is there anybody up 21? And, you know, there's a few, there was like a half a dozen girls that, no, I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm under 21. Yeah. God. Oh. <laughs> my daughter is 24, my golly. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so we're riffing here. So, um, yeah. Um, well, so tell me a little bit about getting to Colorado because we talked about it in the car a little bit, and I thought it was a fascinating story. And we abbreviated a lot so that it wouldn't feel too rehearsed. But right. Well, this is this. If anybody's a student of what I've been doing, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff printed out there. But just for the sake of um, history, um, I've been in sales all my life, from health foods to haberdashery. Uh, I know how to sell. I know how to relate to people. Um, I went to Santa Barbara City College for a couple of years. <clears throat> Met this girl that we I reunited with this afternoon, the sorority mom. And we lived together for a while in Santa Barbara. Moved to, to Cupertino, uh, where I ran a health food store, which is just down the street from that fledgling computer company that was just coming together there, building their first building on the campus, 77. Um, I'm talking about Apple, of course. Um, so this was, you know, a going concern, you know, natural foods in the Bay Area, big, big time. So I ran a health food store for about four years or so. Um, and I get just, and it was a health food bar, incidentally, that's another salient point, is that we served nature burgers and smoothies, but it was a lunch counter, lunch and dinner. And, uh, it was just healthy food. So I got, I understood how to work a bar, okay. Obviously, the product line is totally different, but but the uh, but the pace is acknowledging someone comes. I see you, you're next, keeping track of the orders. You know, this one comes up. Who had the hot ham and cheese? You know, you know. So, um, so you learn how to. I, I still learn how to work a bar with a totally different thing, and that's where I got the name Doc. People come in and say, Doc, I got hemorrhoids or hangnails. What vitamin do I take to get rid of them? Um, so. Doc was hanging around the back. It was just a kind of a pet name amongst friends. I got burned out on retail. I couldn't handle it. it oh, closing the door at 9 o'clock at night and opening again at 9 o'clock in the morning and just do the same thing over and over and over again. It was driving me nuts. So a friend of mine, Jake, uh, one of my best buddies, my oldest pals in the world, uh, he climbed on his gold wing and I climbed on my Suzuki 380. Um and on July 7th, 1977, 7, 7, uh, we rode out to Colorado to visit our friends that ran the Tower Restaurant that happened to be owned by John Denver. So, um, so we did. Five days after we took off, the 12th of July, we walked into the Tower Bar and there was a little table tent that said Bar Magic with Bob Sheets. And I went, what's Bar Magic? Who's Sheets? What's this all about? And... Uh, and he said, stick around, kid. Uh, he, uh, Bob will be right back. He was out in the back watching the sunset, you know. <laughs> and um, 
came back in around the corner, you know, he had hair down to his shoulders, you know, leather vest, blue jeans. Um, and if anybody's ever seen Bob uh, and Bob work, um, he's very disarming in his presentation, you know, starts start shuffling the cards over him and they go all over the table, you know, so you, you, he's taking you down a peg, going, oh, this guy, this guy can't even open a car door, let alone do a card trick, you know, I mean, it, it just, this, it, and then suddenly he pulls out some strong piece of magic, then you're bowled over and you're going, oh, and that's what happened to me that night, because when I was 15 years old, I had a book, I still have it in my library, it's a little thin book, uh, Bill Turner, How to Do Tricks with Cards, okay? So it had things in there like, the pass, <laughs> the glide, oh, see, I knew how to do all this stuff, mm -hmm. at least I thought I did. And so this guy's a magician, huh? And it doesn't appear that he's a very good one because he can't even shuffle the cards right, okay? And suddenly my card is under my drink. Boom! Oh. So within about 15 minutes of watching Bob work, I realized that this guy's not a klutz. He's an absolute master of psychology. Maybe not be the, 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 the best technician you've ever seen. You know, there's lots of guys that, you know, do all the fancy stuff, but they don't have the personality that Bob had, you know, and I was just bowled over. So when I came back in after having dinner in the, in the dining room, the place was on fire. I couldn't believe the excitement that was in there by generated with one guy. I couldn't believe it, and the you know what, and the thing that really got me, I didn't realize it until a little bit later. But the cash register was ringing off the hook. Oh God, what a concept this is! People are drinking, partying, having a great time. So um, I can condense this story a little a little shorter too. But um, long story made short, I, I started working behind the bar as a bar back to another magician who was there at the time, uh, and. Uh, the rest is history. So that, you know, 1970, the winter of 77, 78, I was the bar back. And then that summer, that off season, I learned a bunch of tricks in Mexico and took a bunch of books down there for vacation, put together an act, brought it up. And there's no better place to work than in the bar because you, you, you're going to know right away, real soon, what works and what doesn't work. Because those bar patrons, you know, their uncle does magic or I do magic or they don't love 21 card, whatever it is, uh, you've got to put them back in there. And I think that's what that the peak. No, I want you to see a card. You did? Oh, really? Um, what, what, you know, tell me what it is. I'll tell you where it is. You know, when I say it's under the drink, you you, you heard the thing. It was just like it stopped the deal. Like, wait a minute, how the hell did that get under there? You know, and suddenly you just shift gears. You beat them up, and you go, oh, I guess. And, and uh, it could definitely be qualified as the fuck you trick. All right, you're yeah. following me. You're following me. You're following me. All right, peek the card. You see it go to the drink? Oh. That usually puts that guy, you know. So you have to have in your holster the fuck you trick. Yeah. Right? The, the absolute, you know, you can take this guy apart with him. Right? And then, you know, hopefully he'll go along with you. But that's, that. anyway, that's, uh, we're kind of off the track again. But that's how the tower came about. Um, well, so you, you drove out there and you decided, I'm not going back. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, there, there was nothing pulling me back to Cupertino. And suddenly, the other thing is that, Snowmass Colorado 1977 was pretty pristine. It's really, you know, unbelievable. No, one night, I, I lived a half a mile from where I worked. The one night it took me a half, about three quarters of an hour to drive home. I just said, this sucks. I can't handle this anymore. Let's try something else. That's when I bought the motorcycle so I could zip around town without having to. But then I realized, well, we, you know, we don't have to stay right here. We can go over here. And here looks a lot better than anywhere else. And John Lennon's quote was, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. Well, 
I didn't have any plans really. I planned on going back to Colorado or to California, trying to figure out what, was, what the next step was. But suddenly, this fell into my lap, and um, so and Bob was around for you know for another couple of years before he left the area, and uh, he had a place in uh, Aspen called the Jolly Jester, and uh, he brought in folks like Johnny Fox, uh, who was brand new into the business basically back then. Uh, J.C. Wagner, Steve Spill, you know. Now, these are just guys' names, Steve and, and J.C. and stuff. I just, you know, I had no idea that they were the heavyweights they were. So my faculty in my magic college was J.C. Wagner, Bob Sheets, Steve Spill, Johnny Fox, Eddie Goldstein, a bunch of other very knowledgeable magicians. So we'd spend all day, you know, and practicing cards and doing this stuff. Then I'd go back to go to work that night and start playing with it again, you know. And so I got a chance to just apply it right there. So my magical upbringing was uh, accelerated. I didn't do magic at all until I was 30. And between 30 and 35, I, you know, and doing the stuff behind the bar three, four, or five times a night, different people all the time, turnover crowd. Get good fast. It's like yeah. busking. Yeah. That, yeah, like busking. Working the street is the best place to get, that's the best place, best place to work in something new, I you know. Um, but that's what most guys who work the street do. They go out there, work for a couple of years, and go, this is tough. I want to go inside where I don't have to worry about wind, rain, and you know, hot sun, and the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's no better place to learn. I mean, Macomb, you know, mentioned to me. He said, you know, you, it's easy to tell you're a bar guy because you obviously have done this thousands and thousands of times. You know, but the, I guess the other trick is to make it feel fresh. Yeah. You know? I mean, I can see phoning this in. You know, just through the lines under the drink, da 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 da. da. But um, Again, people, you know, I don't think I could do that. You know, I'd be bored to tears. Well, it's always a different crowd because, it's, again, it's not about the trips. It's exactly. about them. Yeah. So how interesting is that crowd, right? You got the big busty blonde with a diamond that costs more than your house does on a ring. Oh, my God, can we have some fun with this, you know? Uh, and the magic bar, you know, you see a grungy uh, snowboarder sitting next to somebody's grandmother, and they're all getting, having a good time. It's a really homogenous group, and that that the train we talked about climbing on and getting on, well, the, the passenger list of that train is, is oftentimes incredibly varied. Um, and the, yeah, another aspect of that is, you know, in 1977, I was meeting Bob, I mean, uh, Mom, Dad, Bud, and Sis, right? Okay. Well, it's 40 years later now, okay? Bud and Sis have grown up and they've had their own kids. In some cases, they got grandkids. And so it becomes this family affair walking in. Oh, my God, oh my, i got four generations here. You know? yeah. And the little one is sitting there and they've heard stories about Doc and the tower and all this other stuff. And there they are and they're sitting in a bar. Oh, my God. They're never going to forget that night. Yeah. Much like the guys who go to the castle for the very first time. They don't know what to expect. They go in there and they have an evening they truly will never forget. I used to use a line of fact, I still do now, and it's, it's just another nonsense line. Welcome to an evening you may not remember, but you won't forget. Which really, in my mind, summarizes what the Magic Bar is all about. Yeah. Um, I don't remember all the details, you know. I certainly don't remember that he put one leader ace out here and then three other ladies. People don't remember that shit. They don't care about that. Yeah. You know, you're clever, but... They remember the experience and the feeling. The feeling. They don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And so... Um, that's what I do, I, you know. So I facilitate those feelings, and and uh, 
because that's what makes it fun for me. That's what keeps me going back, doing the same friggin' thing over and over and over again. You know? That's why it does still feel fresh. Because it's about them, not yeah. about me. And uh, my audience, that's the other thing, you know, Jamie Swiss once quoted Ambrose Bierce, who was a, uh, um, I think he was a candidate for vice president back in the late 40s. So my ideal audience is one that's slightly above average intelligence and just a little bit drunk. And that's that's what I get in Aspen. You know, mm-hmm. you don't come to Aspen because you've got a job at McDonald's, you know. Yeah. These are captains of industry and there's, you know, a lot of money flowing around out there. And um, so why not work in a place where people have money as opposed to the place where you're going to have to deal with kids all the time? Yeah. You know, so... Um, so for all those aspiring magic bartenders out there, find a resort with you know that that could could use a little excitement, mm-hmm. and um, and then go through that. The rest of it, the rest of the how to do a magic bar, I'll cover in my book that I'm uh, almost finished writing, and um, so I, you know, there's it's, it's it's a lot of fun, and people look at this going, oh, this is great, I want to have it in my bar. Well, it doesn't necessarily work there, so you know, there's some things to take into consideration and the you know I think did we cover the thing that the, your bartender I mean you're the owner of the place or the manager of the place doesn't care how clever you are they really don't care how clever you are they just care about whiskey sales you know what's in it for me yeah and that's a, that's a big phrase to, to remember when you walk into the place well, I know 18 ways to get the card reversed in the deck well big fucking deal you know can you sell whiskey that's what they want to know about yeah um Unless the guy really loves magic, and everyone, you know, you find some restaurant bar owners that really love magic, and they're going to put it in spite of themselves. But most of the time, you do a cold call. You want to do what at my bar? You know. Then there's other bartenders to deal with. You know, this is my turf. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? I'm making money here. You're cutting into my tips. <sighs> you know, I covered that in the book. But there's, there's, that that can be a problem. That needs to be addressed and needs, to, and there's ways around that. I'll cover them in the book. I don't want to give you everything, <laughs> but yeah. So, so what else you got? Well, we talked about several of the things that I've written down, but um, I know that you we, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about your your son and having mm-hmm. him, you know, sort of get into magic. Not early, not like you know most. Well, no, People, but considering but... I didn't start till I was 30, he didn't start till he was 28. My son, Ryan, uh, enormously proud of him. He's um, he's 30 years old right now. Um, and um, I lovingly refer to Ryan as the bent wheel on my tricycle of life. Um, <laughs> been concerned about Ryan on a number of different fronts along his life, but he's, he's great. He's terrific. But... He was living with me in Basalt, Colorado, down the street from Aspen, and uh, he was working in a in a liquor store as a clerk. And um, after five years of doing that, which is like five, four years more than I think I could have stood it, uh, he finally just got fed up with it. And he was selling death to people, you know, people that shouldn't be drinking are in there buying handles of vodka, and you know, you can. See the desperateness and everything. Anyway, it's not a very healthy way to make a living. And uh, so at one point, one of his friends said to him, he said, Hey, uh, are you still living with your dad? Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. If you were living with Eric Clapton, do you think you'd pick up a guitar lick or two? 
And that's all it took. He suddenly jumped into it. And besides that, it was also coincided with his, he'd been to Burning Man about uh, four years in a row. And for those of you who haven't heard of or aware of Burning Man, put this on hold and look up Burning Man and Google and uh, you'll figure it out. It's tough to describe. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, it's on so many levels, it's not like, well, how is Burning Man? Well, this is a half an hour conversation. This is not gonna I'm happen. not in a hurry. Yeah. I'll well, buy your train ticket home. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I taught Matt, uh, Ryan a bunch of tricks. And uh, the, the Burning Man is, has, a, has a, um, there's a number of different, principles that the Burning Man is built on. And one of them is radical self-reliance. In other words, if you go to Burning Man, you have to bring two gallons of water per day that you're going to be there. You're there for a week, that's 14 gallons of water. You have to have figured, you know, uh, you have to bring all your food. You have to bring uh, everything you're going to need to make yourself comfortable. The, the, the stuff to bring list runs about eight pages. So this is not your weekend camping trip where they have uh, uh, running water and, and, you know, this is hardcore, severe, intense camping. Um, but you're also there with 75,000 other people who are have it together. And so, anyway, the, one of the self, uh, self-reliance, self-expression, you want to wear a dress? Today's the day to wear a dress. Doesn't make any difference. You want to walk around naked? You can walk around naked. I mean, all everything is there at the burn. Um, so, one of the other principles it's built on is this is a gift economy. It's not a barter economy. I don't give you something and expect something in return. It's a gift. You're all, everybody is paying it forward. Uh, once you get there, you realize that as long as you have a cup in your hand, you're not going to go thirsty because there's a guy pouring whiskey over there. There's a guy pouring scotch over here. The, the rum bar is down here. The champagne bar is over here, and they're all. It's all. Give, it's all free. I mean, they're all. They're giving it away. That's their gift to the playa is the rum bar or the scotch bar, whatever. So. He wanted to figure out what his gift to the playa was, and he figured out he could be his gift could be magic, and so he hooked up with a theme camp that was there called Sideshow, and um, he became the magician. This was uh, three, four years ago. Um, so he was the magician, and so he did. He, he learned enough tricks to get out there and do it, and he made a great impression. Ryan has it. Um, and once, if you understand what it is, and understand that you have, you can get it or you can lose it, but you can get it back. Once you figure that out, it doesn't matter if it's a coin trick, card trick, rope trick, string trick, because you have this. That's the most important part of it. So and he got that just from being around me all of his life. Um, so he just knows how to connect with people. Yeah, and he also got it. He. Uh, he was tough for him to admit, but he also got that from a liquor store. Mm-hmm. Hey, how you doing, Elliot? Hey, I got that, that bottle of wine you're running after. You know, I mean, he he can turn it on, turn it off. You know, um, but he knows he knows where the switch is now, and he can turn it on. And he's he, when he just he lights up a room. You know, um, so um, Burning Man. He came back from that all fired up. The next summer, he worked at the Aspen Farmer's Market, the Bale Farmer's Market, working in the street. Made tremendous money. And again, you know, he got several hundred dollar tips. 
you know. Working the Aspen Farmer's Market is different than working the Strip in Las Vegas or Hollywood and Highland, okay? I mean, it's, you know, the, it's Aspen. Mom, dad, bud, and sister walking around looking for stuff to do. They buy a pastry, they buy a thing, they go, oh, look, a magic show. So, you know, as opposed to the street where you got to stop all these people that are going from point A to point B and they don't really want to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Different thing. But anyway, he got his feet wet working the street with that, took the McBride's uh, um, street magic class, you know, or Mario Morris from, uh, from Wales. And, and um, well, Faculty, Tim Wise, a bunch of different people. Grendel, a lot of, lot of folks would put it, input in there. And so he, he became a very proficient um, uh, street worker. Uh, aside from being at traveling with me, where we would go to, uh, we went to England a couple times, Germany. We did a little lecture tour, and he was my chief cashier, driver, companion. Um, and we spent a lot of great time together. The last several years, we spent a lot of time in the same room, a lot of time breathing the same air, sometimes in the same bed, depending on the situation that worked out, you know. So we, you know, my son Ryan and I have developed an unbelievably close relationship. Um, but he's 30 and he needs to get his wings going, so he's now he's in Thailand. And um, uh, in the arms of his love, lady love, and um, we'll see what happens from that. But... I couldn't be prouder of the fact that he just picked up the mantle and ran down the road with it. He's just, he's really, really good and um, doing a lot of my material, but shit, if my son can't do it, who can, you know? Well, that's why, that's why I wanted to talk about it is because I think you're probably the first person that I've spoken to that kind of has somebody to take over your legacy, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that? Is that... Cool. Is that exciting? That's cool as hell. You're kidding? That's cool as shit. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed at the fact that he, he, he's seeing the world the way I see it and, and understanding how he can make his way in the world. And I've given him the tools. If, if he and I never, re, you know, I mean, he stays in Thailand for the rest of his life, he has those tools to, to walk into a group, a group of people and within, you know, a very short period of time, they're all in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. This is a tremendous skill, tremendous thing. So that you can traverse through any number of social circles and any and uh, just by having those tools. So yeah, I'm I'm enormously proud and and not at all taken aback that he's you know doing my stuff. It was interesting. Um, talking about a storybook thing. We came back. We, we uh, did a tour of England. We came back, and uh, I had a week. I booked a week at the castle. So he and I came back from England. Um, stayed in Hollywood there, and. Uh, I was behind the bar and exhaustion and jet lag and what have you. I lost my voice. I had no voice that was as big as I could get. I just couldn't talk. I said, Ryan, get behind the bar and do some stuff. Just buy me a couple, just a couple minutes. So he gets back there and he's working stuff. Jack Goldfinger walks around the corner. Who's, what's going on here? I thought we hired you. Who's this guy? He said, oh, it's my son. Watch him. He's real good. Well, 20 minutes later, he came back and he says, he is real good. Why does he want to work? Work where? Here at the in the bar? I said, yeah. But I, I don't know. Hey, Ryan, when do you want to work? Well, God, he cheered up, you know, because you don't walk in the castle and just do 10 minutes to get hired. Yeah. But Jack knows talent and he saw it. And he so, so we went back out there in September and he worked a week and he burned the place to the ground. It was absolutely 
astounding. Get his picture in Genie magazine, you know, um, the Knights at the Castle kind of uh, thing that Daniel Eulen's doing up there. Um, just great. I, I'm bursting with pride. I mean, how, how can I be anything but proud of the fact that he, and what was what, what, interesting is that, I, uh, yeah, he starts with my basic material, um, but by the end of the week, he was adding lines and jokes that, I, that they came from him, not from me, or they came from his audience. He just picked them up. Um, so, you know, Whit Hayden is, has a wonderful, uh, excuse me, Pop Hayden has a wonderful uh, essay on originality. And the whole thing about, well, don't do it like the instructions say it, you know, put your fingerprints on. Well, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, you know magic fans that get the thing from Illusionist or David, David, whatever, you know, they read the thing. They don't know how to, they don't know how to put their fingerprints on. So you have to start somewhere. So it's okay if you do it verbatim off the, off the instruction sheet. You know, but as a creator, as a performer, as a say, the guy that sells some of his tricks, the next time I see it, I'd like to see your fingerprints on it rather than mine. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, sometimes it's tough to come up. And it, if you don't have a place to perform, well, how, how are you going to get your fingerprints on the stuff? You're not. Yeah. You, the, the, the whole idea is to go get as much flight time as possible. Like, you know, Penn calls it flight time. You know? How many hours have you got on that particular flight, you know? Um, so. Um, it's important that, you know, if you're starting out, you, you do have to kind of wear your influences. You have to try them on. Yeah. And feel out if it feels right, and then you can sort of move in that direction. But, you know, yeah, getting getting that flight time, getting that those hours in. I mean, it comes back to Malcolm Gladwell and getting oh, your 10,000 hours. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. Where the hell did that go? Oh, did I put them over here? The night routine that I did up there. Yep. Um, uh, back to Pop Hayden. Pop has the intricate web of deception. Mm -hmm. All right. It's a multiple phase uh, routine using more than one knife and all this other stuff. Well, um, I think he said something about wardrobe or something. I, and uh, if I can do this without losing it again. Um, I read Pop's manuscript, brilliant, um, and so I tried it. It was like taking his suit jacket and putting it on. Going, hey, nice material. Doesn't fit very well, but it's nice material. Yeah. So let's get it taken in and let's try this another. So this, the one knife routine that I do, uh, actually comes, the root came from J.C. Hyatt, a uh, uh, magician pal of mine in Orlando. Um, I, I love it because it's just one knife. You don't have all these extra, you know, because these things are heavy, and and um, so you can't do certain several some of those things, you know. But um, the routine I did, I designed it so that or I put it together so that it it's quick. It's, it, this is the opening trick. This, you know, my traditional opening trick, not a card trick, not a coin trick. You know, with this pen knife, you know, a little history, you know, lolling together with all kinds of shit. Uh, but it's one knife. So, um, so yeah, it's okay to take the stuff, you know, that, that you get them in the, out of the mailbox, but try and work as much as you can and see if you can put something different on it, you know, a different spin on it, or think about how you, what's in your mind, what the, what the silent script is, you know. Um, and... Uh, 
Another thing about working the bar, oftentimes if they do have your head, you have your boisterous participants in, that aren't too boisterous, is um, you understand what the audience is thinking about. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, he must have diverted our attention. I sure wish he'd do it again. Well, you can see them nodding their head and going, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Now, there's a part of that that's the wonder words again, where you can tell them what you want them to think, right? But especially during that opening phase with the transpositions, um, wait a minute, do that again. That's what they're thinking. And so you can, you know, you, and so oftentimes the, your audience will, and the looks on their face, you can sort of see, and then you can verbalize that, and that becomes where you go with this trick as opposed to, well, I was going from here to here, and then she hit me from the side. I'll go over there. And just, if, if that happens more than once, well, this is, other people are thinking that too. You know that there's a direction that you should be going that you're not. Right. Yes. Let's let's uh, let's address what they what you think is on their mind, and that's um, that's as important or more important than anything else that's going on. You know. So yeah. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you talk. You mentioned. Keep talking. Um, are you getting some more water? Yeah. I might have to... Uh, so. Well, so you mentioned um, how important relating to the audience is and how, how your son, Ryan, has it. Mm -hmm. People that don't naturally have it, or they may have it, but don't know how to harness it. Right. How, how do you work on that, other than just working on it? I think just working. Yeah. I think you have to put the flight time in. You have to get in front of people. You have to screw up now and then yeah um it's about know, fear it's about not being afraid to screw yeah. up and some people are afraid of getting caught they're afraid of doing the thing but that's all that does and again i'm speaking from the perspective of being able to do this the same routine three times a night yeah not everybody has that luxury yeah but if every time i get to this point they say i saw you put it under the glass or you know, you saw something, whatever the deal is, you realize that that's a weak point. That's the point where if he's not paying attention to what I'm saying, he's paying attention to this, then I'm not doing this right. I got I to, gotta, and uh, where are you from again? You know, ask them a direct question. And that they, you know, that's, that's my favorite thing to do, is ask them a question. Yeah. You know, what kind of car do you drive? You know, they have to, suddenly they have to stop for a second. What kind of car do it? Well, I, I drive a Honda Civic. Why? You know, that took, three seconds to formulate the uh, understand the question and formulate the answer yeah and while they're doing that card goes under the train yeah so you have you know but I don't you have to change the moment or you have to redirect their attention somehow. right right and I cover this a lot in the, my card under card under glass uh, DVD that Cosmo and I put out last year um, you, I cover contingency. What happens if this happens? Then you go down this road over here. You know, a lot of what I do is like a flow chart, basically. I know where I'm going, but the way I go, I'll go over here. Oh, you want to talk about this? Okay, well, you know, you know but it's all along the line going to the thing. So how did? I think you just get out and do it as much as you can, and um, and pick a favorite routine. The other thing is that the deluge of material that's coming out is like trying to drink out of a fire hose. I mean, every week there's five, six new tricks, there's six new decks. There's, you know, I mean, just to keep up with the, the pace of it all, well, you never get good at anything, you know? Well, you start to... I, I agree with that, and I understand what you mean. 
Um, but speaking from experience as someone who was coming up in Magic, when all of that started taking off, all the custom decks and you know all the internet Magic trick sales thing was really burning hot. Um, Isn't it still? No, it's it is, but I, I was just saying like that's before, when it, before, yeah, yeah when I was when I was coming up that's how it was, that's how I got it. There were no magicians where I was from, mm-hmm. so everything that I learned was from buying books online or buying tricks online. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you are disappointed a lot, and you do feel like you have to keep up. But as you start learning that stuff, and as you start practicing and performing, you begin to... It's like just putting in the hours. You figure out who you are as a performer, and then you start to self-curate. So I was collecting decks, and I was buying every deck of cards that came out, and then I started buying a brick of every cards that came out. And then I started going, this is too much. This is not... I'm not doing anything with this shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to step... I need to pump the brakes on myself. Yeah. And that's... um, you know, that's kind of what everybody has yeah. to do. Well, but that, it just takes time. You know? Yeah, it does take time. Uh, that's one of the criticisms of the of, of your generation. Uh, <laughs> that's the fact that you, I, I'm learning all, all my magic I learned on YouTube. Oh, really? So that means you got to wear a clean pair of jeans because it's all crotch magic. <laughs> Watch this. You know, this is the frame here. Sure. But, you know. Um, well, but that's... You could also say people that you know i don't think anyone would argue that learning all of your magic on youtube is a good thing i don't think a single person would argue that that was the point um but it it does go back to like you have to start somewhere and in this day and age it is very easy and accessible sure but the people that really are truly interested they then take that material and do put their fingerprints on it and go out and do stuff but anyway go ahead well um Crotch magic. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate because that, a lot of people think that that's what magic is. And when they run into a guy like me, where it's not about the tricks, it's about this other stuff that's going on. They, you know, like, I, you know, uh, I leave them in the dust because they don't know about this part out here, the, the, the other part, that make the stuff that really, in my mind, makes it work. Sure. You know? But, Jesus, I wish there was a way that we could accelerate this. There's a pill we could take that, you know, like, give you that whole thing. But it's just, you have to work at it a little bit. And um, uh, another unpopular uh, thought is put down the magic book, put down the computer, read a book. Yeah. Get, you know, figure out what else is going on in the world around you. Yes, absolutely. So you can talk about movies, you can talk about books, you can talk about plays, you can talk about anything, something else cultural, and so that you can connect on people on that level as opposed to, isn't the guy clever, you know? Exactly. That's where it stops for most people. Yeah. Very clever. No memory of what anything at all went on. Yeah. You know? And that's a great, that's a great tip for people that want to be able to connect to their audiences that... They have to be an interesting person. You have to be a three-dimensional person that is aware of the world and not just obsessed with magic. Right. And, you know, 20-somethings, you know, a lot of people, a lot of 20-somethings, these girls certainly don't know who they are, you know, mm-hmm. today. Um, it's not coming here or there, but... but uh, uh, I, I don't know any, any fast way to go through that other than just getting in front of people and doing it. Yeah. Um, and for those, you know, guys out there that I want to be a bar magician for the rest of my life, well, you know, I don't know, you, you careful what you wish for, because it may not necessarily be uh, what you think it is, you know, it's not all glamour, you know, and especially if you get tied into drugs or alcohol behind the bar, 
You know, I mean, there was, let's face it, Aspen was the snow capital of the world for a long time, okay? We'd go in and get crazy every night, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail on that, but I mean, cocaine was around, and sure. it was, you know, and, and it certainly made you spin up, you know? Well, in the long run, I came to terms with that too, and I just realized that that's not a very healthy way to go about this whole stimulation deal. Um, but um, there's, there's pitfalls along the way, as I talked about. There's also the sexual dynamics behind the bar, you know? Suddenly mm -hmm. it becomes this passion play between me and this blonde in front of me. Yeah. Well, how entertaining is that to everybody else? I don't know. I'm getting late. I don't care about you guys. Well, you know. Now, when I was coming up through the through the ranks, I was married. I had three kids, or you know, one, two, and three, depending on what time we're looking at. Yeah. But, but I had, you know, I had other stuff going on, so I never played the bar for pussy. Some guys, that's all they want to do. Yeah. I can get laid with this trick. Okay. Well, more power to you. Let me know how that works out for you, because I, you know, because I've never been able to turn that corner. <laughs> I've never, you know. That doesn't sound fulfilling, you know. Yeah, it's not. Especially for people like, I'm going to group us together for people like us that want to create an experience for the group and want it to be more than just the trick or more than just getting laid. This is about right. something that's like. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I say, uh, you know, when I first got the job there, I thought it was all about the magic. And then I realized it's not about the magic, it's about selling whiskey. Oh, that's what it's all about. And I went for a long time with that. But as the years turned into decades, I realized that it was all about making memories. That's the bottom line on this thing. Because, you know, how you know... You can get a whiskey anywhere. Yeah. And magicians are like nuns, you know. How often do you see a nun? I saw one today for the first time. I can't remember when. But magicians, but magicians are like nuns and midgets, you know. You don't see them every day. Yep. You and I do, and the people are listening to this this thing, Doug, you know, see him every day. But you have to understand that that 15 girls have never seen a magician and they've never been that close to it before. This was a memorable experience. They will remember this day more than, you know, other days because it, because it was, I got the time the magician came by and his name was Doc, D-O-C for the hearing impaired, you know. Um, Thank you for doing sign language on a podcast. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah. You'll have to look it up. Um, but that, and that's another reason I adapted the name Doc, and it was kind of by accident. But the, the nickname that I had in Cupertino, well, when I started doing magic, I thought, you know, I, I remember Timothy Leary saying, you can be anything you want this time around. Oh, I'm in Colorado. No one knows me. I'm doing magic. Doc's the name. All right? And that became one of the best decisions I ever made because DOC, easy. Bill Leeson? Bill, Bill Leeson? What is the name? You know? Shit. They don't remember the name. They don't yeah. remember that unless you make it real easy for them. You know, Bill Malone. All right? Well, I can't say Doc E. Son because, you know, it's going to upset. And that, that I, I got tremendous respect for Bill Malone. He's, un, he's a good pal and unbelievable entertainer. Just, but, you know, we're kind of, he and I, I found out that he and I got into magic about the same time, about 77 is when he started into the magic bars in Chicago. And so we kind of had a similar upbringing in terms of, you know, he was in Chicago and he had Aronson and Marlowe and all these guys to hang with. I was in Snowmass. I had sheets and spill. Um, but eventually I had to do a lot of this on my own. But um, um, 
So you know, chanting the name, you know, it's uh, not not better if it, it, it could get my name in there. But why don't we make Kaylee the person? You know, when's the last time a screaming drunk chanted your name at a bar? Ha 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 ha! And then lots of fun things that go along with that. And it's, it's um, so, but um, yeah, getting people's names up. I figured I, I, I sidetracked again. <laughs> um, but uh, so we, uh, we were talking about. Um, we were just talking about making a memorable experience, and then yeah. you started talking about the memories. Yeah, memories exactly. Memories, is, you know, is what it's really all about. And 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 even if they don't remember you for the rest of their lives, that particular experience is memorable. Whether they remember it or not, I'm not sure. It depends on how much of an effect you made on them and how what the connection was and how strong it was. Mm-hmm. That um, I don't know about you. Do you remember the first magic guy you ever saw? Yeah. See, I rest my case. What, what, what was your what's your story? Who's the first magic guy you saw? You know, didn't know anything about magic. I did magic. What happened? Siegfried and Roy in Vegas. I was oh, five years old. <laughs> shit. Well, okay, that's setting the bar a little high. Um, yeah, well. but but the first time I saw it as like a, a person that like it really got me interested was um, close up magic. Anyway, was on a like a cruise ferry uh-huh. over in Europe. Uh-huh. And there was a guy that did the Great River Band Escape or Crazy Man's Handcuffs right in front of my face. And it, was just, yeah. it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. Because it was right there in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember many things from that trip, but that is seared into my brain. I rest my case. That's the whole thing. You know, yeah. that one little moment where you took two rubber bands and took them apart, my God, that, that burned itself into your memory. Think about what this show did. And I did an hour and 15 minutes with these girls here. Yeah. You know. And I gave them enough to think about for the rest of their life. Um, but it's like the people going to the castle for the very first time. You know, you realize there's a responsibility that goes along with this. And you're going to make, you're going to create, you're going to take apart their reality and put it back together in your reality. And mm-hmm. they're going to remember this little wrinkle in time. That's an awesome responsibility. We also hold the awesome responsibility of, because that's true, people don't see magic often. We're also often the people that will either inform the fact that they love magic for the rest of their life or they hate magic for the rest of their life. Right. That's well, a huge responsibility. It is a huge responsibility. And that's why, you know, you cringe when the guy gets the guy up, you know, the person up on stage and makes fun of them or pokes them or make, makes them look like a fool. You know, oh, no, I'm not going to go up on stage. I'll bet somewhere along the line, you know, the birthday party magician made, it, made the guy feel this big. Yeah. You know, and so... I think it's another thing. I don't think uh, I'm not sure magic is universally appreciated. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, my daughter-in-law, bless her, I brought her around on the thing. She's seen me enough times now; she realizes what the deal is. But you know, that's a childish magic is a childish thing. It's time to put away childish things as you grow older. Well, horseshit. You know, I'm 70. You know, and I'm still learning tricks all the time. You know, I mean, you know, but. Um, but it it's, uh, doesn't have to be about kids. It doesn't have to be about, you know. It's an awesome responsibility. I think that's the thing to realize. And, and put yourself in their mind um, the first time you saw a card trick. The first, and do you remember the first time somebody showed you um, Out of This World? Do you remember that? Mm. No. Um, I do. And, and the, the book that Brent Garris put together from The Magic Apple, The Great, The Best of All Worlds, it's... You know, the book that's thick, two inches thick of um, everybody's different variations on Paul Curry's Out of This World. 
Uh, and one of those sections in there is, when's the first time you saw this? And most, most, most everybody that contributed to this, this particular thing, uh, this chapter, had very distinct memories of, you know, and I remember the first time I'm spreading them out like this, and then, you know, they turn them over and they're all the same. It impacted me, man. Yeah. I was in, I was, you know, in a friend's house up in Netherland, uh, outside of Boulder, and it blew my fucking mind. Remember that feeling, and so next time you do out of this world, remember this, this person's mind is going to get just, it's going to explode. Smoke's going to come out their ears in this thing. Um, and just, you know, um, so it's a responsibility, and I don't know, I think it's one not to be taken lightly. I think you should be aware of, of um, memories are just moments that, that haven't had the time involved in it. You know, we had a moment, bam, okay? That moment becomes memorable depending on the different elements of the thing. Uh, so with the time, standing in front of a, you know, room full of 20-year-olds, 20, 20 you know, but halfway through it, it dawned on me that this, you know this, they're going to be talking about this for a while. Yeah, and uh, so uh, not to be overblown about the thing. I'm not taking you know I don't want to take myself that seriously that I'm I'm changing people's lives every time. I, but I am I, it, to a, to a small degree. I don't. It's not. You know, it's just uh, it's something to be aware of. People yeah. that don't get to see this stuff very often, and when they do. Watch their reactions, and then and then uh, so that can add to your presentation. Yeah, there's enormous potential there to impact somebody's unbelievable, life. unbelievable thing. The anniversary walls, mm -hmm. the strongest car trick known to man. I mean, I, I, I've driven women to tears with that trick. Yeah, and most of the time, it's please don't do anymore. I'm crying. <laughs> um, but you know, I just did this at the castle. Oh, we we getting we got just got engaged. They went, oh, hold on a minute. Come on up. I'd like to do something for you. Yeah, uh, that card is in her wallet. And I said, listen, you're going to get married when? In October? Do me a favor. You know that something borrowed, something blue, okay? Would you just have this playing card with you for good luck when you walk up the aisle? Oh, yeah, we will. Oh, shit, man. That little card trick. You're a part of their I'm most of their important wedding. day in their life. Yeah. yeah. And that, boy, that's, you know, that's a wonderful understanding of it. You know? And may as well plug it a little bit. The uh, uh, Cosmo and Garrett Thomas and I have put out a, a deck of adversary walls cards. If you get a deck of double face cards from Murphy's, um, you know, there's a couple of uh, cards that are ideal, and then the Queen of Hearts and then Nine of Spades. Or, um, but after that, you get the Ten of Spades and the Three. Well, the Ten, you write your name across it, you can't see it. So is that the, really the card? So we put together a deck of cards that has, and there's 12 Queen of Hearts, King of Hearts. There's 12 Ace of Hearts, Two of Hearts. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole, the rest of the deck is all different cards like the Six of Spades and the Four of Clubs. Plenty of room to write their name on. Sure. So every single card in that deck that you buy for 20 bucks is usable, as opposed to the Murphy's deck, which is about seven or eight cards are ideal. The rest of some of them are okay, and then it gets to the thing, but you, you don't even want to think about the Tennis Club, the Tennis Spades, Nine of Spades. There's not enough space on them. Yeah. So anyway, that's why we put that together because it's such a strong trick, and it's nice to be that you know. Oh, you just got you're getting you're getting engaged. Oh, look, oh, Queen of Hearts. How like how how romantic is that? I'm gonna do, oh look, you're the King of Hearts. Oh my God, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just adds to the thing. That's one of those great tricks that really has a lot of room to put your fingerprints on it because yeah. it's simple. 
and yeah. it's super strong. Yeah. So you can take that and you can really play with that as an yeah. individual. I recommend the, 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 the deck comes with a, a, a link to Murphy's that, that um, has Garrett Thomas's, my, my version of it, which is really simple. Mm -hmm. It really stripped down, simple. But Garrett has some incredible work on it that's just great, just great. And we give it away with the deck, you know, basically. We can't, the thing has been around for 25 years. It's hard for me to sell a manuscript again on it. But the, with this deck of cards and this tutorial that you get the address off the box, you know, that's uh, it's really good. That Garrett, plug Garrett Thomas here, but have you done Garrett Thomas on one of these things? No, not yet. Garrett's a genius. He absolutely is a genius. Absolutely. I've seen him lecture several times. He is just, you know, the thinking man's magic. He's really obsessive about it all the time. He's working on his stuff. Um, and But he has a lot of work on a lot of different stuff. And I've been working on a trick with, um, I don't have it with me, uh, but I, but it's a it's a mental photography deck basically, but it's not steroids. And but there was a lot of moments in there that were just uh, cringeworthy, you know. And I was afraid to show it to the boys at the castle because like that's that's a pretty sloppy turnover or whatever the deal is. Sit down with Garrett within two hours. He went, well, why are you doing that? Why don't you just do it this way? Ah, of course, I don't yeah. want to do it that way. And then that one time when you would do that other thing, just turn the card over. You're going, oh my god, of course. So he solved some of the problems. Anyway, Garrett uh, Garrett's work on the anniversary waltz is absolutely fabulous. You know, he's got the two cards going out, the two card money move, but just turning the deck over. Mm -hmm. Okay, oh God, it's just, I mean, this, this, the difficulty of that particular trick is doing this. It's not hard to do. Yeah. Anyway, but with his, he just sticks one in, face up, one face down, turns them over like that, and it's automatic. Oh, I mean, brilliant stuff. I was very lucky on that trick. Uh, Phil Wilmarth, bless his heart, rest his soul. Uh, called me up 25 years ago and said, hey, I just ran a guy, I'm just putting this parade together for the linking ring. And uh, there's a trick in here by Christopher Carter you ought to take a look at. And it was, um, I think it called a cold fusion or something. I don't get it. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. And um, it ran four pages with no illustrations. Well, what does that tell a magic guy? Can't be any good. Yeah. Let me see the pictures, okay? So a lot of people just blew right by. And... It also had a lot of very difficult maneuvers in it, you know. Had a, you know, Daryl Martinez pop-up Puerto Rican you know, thing, something, other, you know. And a bunch of different slides that were very difficult. And, um, but I went ahead and learned it, because Phil said I ought to try and do it. And I went, took it to the bar one night, and it was, happened to be a newlywed couple there, and I did the trick, and I just butchered it. I just, it was awful. You know, I was flashing the double face card. They don't know what they're looking at. And, yeah. You know, they just got married, so they're not thinking about card tricks anyway. They're thinking yeah. about when am I going to leave and get late again. Um, so, but when I finished the trick and put it in her hand, and it was, you know, the cards fused together, she started to cry. I went, oh, I've never had that kind of reaction before in my life, so there's got to be something to it. So I just took it home to the laboratory and boiled it down to two double turnovers. That's basically it. Mm -hmm. Simple. And it's the strongest card trick, you know, in anybody. I've, I've never seen another card trick that could rival in terms of emotional impact. You know? So you got found the four races. Who cares, you know? Um, so, yeah, anyway, enough about the anniversary walls, but that's I'm, I'm very proud of that particular deal. And it, it um, generated a lot of other versions of it, but uh, Garrett's, I think, is the best. So, anyway, I'm thrilled to have my name on that. So, uh, let's see. Can't plug the uh, show at the Red Spade Theater tomorrow night because this is going to come out after that happened, but you can read the reviews. Yep. 
Um, oh, this is something that I I took down uh, when we were when I was watching your show, and I've seen you do it at the castle a lot, but I, I wouldn't have thought to write it down if I hadn't seen you do it today. Which is that you're doing this trick, and and it, it, uh, I've seen you do it at the castle, and it's you do it early to kind of get people punched up. But uh, this was maybe I don't know eight or ten minutes into your set earlier today and these girls weren't they weren't really comfortable yet they didn't know how to react they didn't know what to expect and you shout at a revelation you oh. do this really high pitch. Yeah. yeah yeah well again i'm trying to let them know you that broke the- that tension that was in the room and they all laughed they all reacted it's one of those like you feel and i i, I wasn't even aware of it because I was sitting in the back of the room, I wasn't aware of it that it was there until you broke it. You uh-huh. snapped it, and the whole the air rushed out of the room, and everybody was in the same place again. And they kind right. of see that's another one of those things where I've been doing it for so long that I don't know what I'm doing you know, yeah. or why I'm doing it. I know when I, I scream, but um, I'm not aware of it, and so it, it, it takes that. But again, you're reacting like you hope they react. You know. Yeah. Because I have had people scream when it go, you know, it pops up in their hand or whatever, the, whatever that situation is. Um, so yeah, just letting the audience know that it's okay to react. Yeah, you know, that line I use about you know, if you hold applause, laughter, and reaction inside, no one it out, it goes right to your thighs. All right, it always gets a laugh, always gets a little smile. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to tell them it's okay. All yeah, right? you know, and. Uh, to me, when I start into the card and the glass deal, one of my little victories that I'm looking for, that I want to have happen, is get everybody chanting their name. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I wasn't feeling it from the crowd here. I could see the card tricks, you know, again, the, the under 20 or under 25, well, they don't even know what a deck of cards is. Yeah. You know? Or you say, hey, shuffle them up. Oh, I, I don't know how. Yeah. Well, okay. Just, so I could see how I was losing their interest on the thing. Um, so I stepped on the gas and kind of veered off into the rest of the deal. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I um, screaming when I put it in their hand, when they scream and put it in their hands. Um, At that moment of revelation, you break that tension. Interesting. I was not Because really they weren't doing it. They weren't doing it themselves, right. and so you did it for them, and right. that allowed everything else to happen. Gave them permission, naturally. let's go. Yeah, yeah let's go. exactly. So I, think that's a, that's a, I guess it's a valuable technique that I wasn't aware that I'm using, you know. But it is. It's something I use, and it's, it's a valuable valuable thing. Um, I also noticed that, because I saw you at the castle in the bar last week, maybe, and I've seen you there a couple times, and... I can extrapolate from that what it's like to be behind a real bar. That's a real bar, but it's not a real, real bar, right? So um, the difference between you at the castle and you earlier today is that you you definitely do slow down a little bit. You're still on the gas because you're getting those lines and you're hitting those tricks. But at the bar, you got to keep people engaged so they keep drinking. But here, you know... They're sipping all the water and going and getting cocoa puffs. Yeah, you slow down a little bit and you kind of allow everyone to be in it at the same time and kind of process everything a little bit more. And I think you kind of needed to do that because what you said earlier was like getting hit in the face with a brick. They needed those little breaths of yeah, time. It's to okay to recalibrate. Yeah, let, you know, let, the, let the blood flow. All right, it's okay. And yeah, 
Yeah, well, it's 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 fun to sit to someone who's been through this thing before, and they can they can take a step back and, and look at the overview of what's actually what's going on. Because mm-hmm. as I said, I just I act. Something happens, and I react to it. Yeah, happens and I react. Happens, and I react. And I, you know, the re, you know, I guess along the way, I discovered that if, if they, you know, the old three coin trick, you know, and they open up their, ah! you know, yeah. oh my God, how did that happen? Well, you know, that's exactly what they wanted to do, but they were so dumbfounded. Yeah, so. Let your audience know it's okay to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. And the more fun you have, the more fun I'm going to have. So, uh, you know, if, if I don't have any fun, it, it's not all my fault. Uh, I mean, I'm just riffing right now. That, I've never even used that line before, but that's really, I just open my mouth and this shit falls out. Um, <laughs> well, you're tuned to it. Your body's primed for it. Yeah, yeah. And I and I love, I, I, you know, we talked also today about that whole card in the glass thing is like a martial arts uh, form, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you go through the different actions and the blocking and the whatever you do, and a, a martial artist might do. It's very much the same way there. And if I don't do that routine, if I don't do work, if I don't work for a period of time, I begin to twitch a little bit. I need, I need, I need to have that. I need to have that be it to be able to just go and do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm at home and I go for you know weeks at a time without doing the act, um, I'll oftentimes just pack up and go down to the local pub and you know. Just, can I shoot up in your booth here? You know, because you know, I mean, it's 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 like a jewel for me. I, I need yeah. I need to be have it, and it's I know how much fun it is for everybody to have, and so, you know, I can sit at home and, you know, surf the net, or I could go out in front of people and actually light them up. Yeah, and this this reminds me of what I've heard stand ups say, is yeah. that if they don't do stand up at least once every two days they start to get jittery yep yep absolutely i can i really relate to that um so my biggest my biggest problem is to try and figure out a place to do this on a regular basis you know i mean i got places and it's not like i'm begging for business but uh and i've actually slowed down a little bit i don't travel as much as i used to travel is not easy anymore Mm -hmm. you know um and especially at my age it's just it's not as much fun anymore I remember talking to an old magic guy, and I said, is there any place you really want to go? He said, you know, there's a lot of places I'd like to be, <laughs> but I don't want to go there. Yeah. You know? You know, cruise ship. Hey, we're going to fly to China, and you're going to get on, you're going to, well, that, you know, Hong Kong to Tokyo. That would be a great run. But, I mean, i got to sit for 20 hours to get to Hong Kong? Fuck that. I don't think I want to do that. I mean, I'd rather not do that. Yeah. Unless I was getting paid a big bag of money. You know, that's a different story. But, um, anyway... Yeah, I am a bit of a prostitute when it comes to that. You know, show me the money, we'll jump through the hoops. Yeah. Well, but you've got to the point where you can say that because yeah. you're first of all you're a grown ass man, and you you're not like starving for um, uh, attention or um, I'm blanking on the word affirmation. That's the mm. word. You know, you you know that you do your stuff well. You know what you're worth, and you yeah. don't have to go out of your way to do something you don't want to do. Right, exactly. And so, and I pared things down. My, all my kids are grown, you know, and uh, you know, I've got no huge things hanging over me that I, you know, that I have to, you know, bring the bacon home and stuff. So it's it's slightly different. But again, it's pure serendipity. Forty years of doing this. You told me forty-one years ago that this I'd be sitting here talking to you about magic. I think you were an idiot, you know. But um, obviously, stuff happens. So, you know, the thing we talked about earlier that you know, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. You have to be open to the fact that, you know, and uh, 
just because Ryan just took off and went to Thailand last week, I, I ran across a, a thing with uh, Steve Harvey. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he talks about every successful person I have known has made a leap into the unknown. Mm-hmm. I moved from Connecticut to California, California to um, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, and, 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 and leap, and the net will appear. You have to, you know, the, the the universe will provide, I think, as long as you're actively doing something. Something's going to come along, and they're going to, you know, you're, and, you know, before I saw Sheets, I had I had all the intentions of going back to, to Colorado. And suddenly, you know, I'm open to the fact that, well, maybe this is, you know, I don't know. For example, the, the, the one night, uh, the first night there, Sheets turned me upside down. According to the plan, the next day, a bunch of us from the restaurant, including Bob, uh, were going to go drive, you know, 60 miles and go up into the wilderness and have this you know, backpacking adventure in the middle of nowhere. Beautiful, pristine Rocky Mountain Lake. Great. And um, so uh, we, a bunch of us, 12 of us, take off from the, from the restaurant and... Um, Drive there. We hike up another four hours into the. You know, finally get the camp set up, and we're sitting around the campfire. Camp's all set up, and I hear far out, far out. That John Denver just walking into camp. <laughs> he, there was, nothing was planned, but he told Michael, "Sure, he said, listen, I'm not sure if I get back in time. Where you're going to be? I'll come up and meet you there." I had no idea, you know. So on Monday night. I see Bob Sheets turned my world upside down. Yeah. Tuesday night, I'm sitting in the wilderness with John Denver, smoking a joint, in the middle of the Colorado Rockies, Mr. Colorado. This is 1977. He wrote yeah. Rocky Mountain High in 1970. You know, he was king of the heat. Muppet Show, Christmas specials. I mean, he was a superstar. Yeah. And here I am, you know, passing the wine bottle around. Are you kidding? Or was this like, so somebody's trying to tell me something here. Yeah. This is too big a sign not to... This is too... Something's going on here. Yeah. This is not... This is... I, I can't believe this. So, not everybody's epiphany is so well-defined or perhaps as loud as, but Jesus, I mean, how can how can you deny that? So, anyway, being open to it, that's easy to say, you know, because, you know, right now my son is kind of, you know, leaping into Thailand again, you know. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But I know what, what happened last time. He was like depressed and lost his girlfriend and suddenly he meets this beautiful English girl and they go to England and he's got these opportunities opening for him in England Yeah, because he took that leap. Absolutely. You, know, you took a leap coming from Louisiana to, to San Diego. Did you know anybody out here? How'd, no. you, how'd you pick San Diego? Uh, well, the, I came out here for work, but I didn't oh. know. I mean, I was working with Dan and Dave at the time, oh, um, I see. but it wasn't full time. I came out here for just a couple months and it turned into me just living here. Right. And how long have you been here now? Um, a little over a year, about a year and three oh, months or so. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what happens. You know, you landed a place, and next thing you know, it's four or five years later, you go, what the hell just happened here? I don't know, but whatever it is, it's pretty good. You know, paying the rent, keeping the doors closed, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, and I'm getting to sit here with you and talk about this and talk to my heroes and meet my heroes because I took the leap. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary thing, and I'm not necessarily advocating it for everybody, but if you really want to stretch out and see what your potential holds, take that leap. You know, lock, stock, and barrel. Oh, well, I listen to a Pandora uh, the com- uh, comedy uh, channel all the time. Yeah. And um, 
Who are some of your favorite comedians? I don't mean to get you off track. Yeah. Uh, well, Gaffigan just kills me. Oh, yeah. Um, the Cash Cap guy. Ben. Shit, his name escapes me right now, but the Cash Cap guy just had me stitches. Um, those are two that just pop off the top of my head. There's a bunch of other guys. He, uh, um, Tom Segura, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them tells a story about, you know, should I, I, a lot of times I'm listening to it. I don't, the, the name doesn't pop out. I've got to look at the thing and figure it out. Yeah. It talks about he was drug-free for a long time, went out and went to, a, to Bonnaroo and ate a bunch of ecstasy and whatever else and moved back and broke up with his girlfriend for eight, from, for eight, from eight years ago. A buddy just calls out the clear blue. Did you ever think about moving out here on the Long Island? Yeah, let's do that. It did, you know, and he changed his life, you know, within a period of days just you know and he continues to tell a story about you know things are going up pretty well yeah you know the universe will provide for you if you leave yourself open for it um, and as we talked about again as life is what happens when you're busy making other plans you have to have other plans all right and that's when you get sideswiped that's when uh, you know they get t-boned by another situation you couldn't you couldn't even magic you know yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about doing magic. What the hell are you talking about? You know, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out a way to make a living. You know, bartending and magic. Oh my God, this looks like it might have some potential. Forty years later, it says it does. Um, but you have to make that leap first of all, and you have to have have, have to have other plans. You've got to be active to be yes. interrupted. Yeah, playing video games in the back room. You know, with the lights off is not. You know, that's where you'll be in ten years. But if you turn off the computer and walk outside, start doing magic tricks with somebody, or you know, figure out a thing, you know, I mean, you know, there's lots of different paths out there, but you have to be open to them and be ready to take them. Well, I, I, a perfect example of this is I was—I'm um, a huge stand-up comedy fan, and I was in L.A. Uh, at Largo at the Coronet, and I had become sort of friendly with one of my with my favorite comedian. I mean, he's my favorite comedian by far. Who's that? Uh, his name's Pete Holmes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know Pete Holmes. He's he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I, I've become friendly with Pete, and after his shows, I'll do some magic tricks for him. And and uh, one night I was doing some tricks for him, and the booker for Largo was there, and I was doing tricks, and he goes, "You should be on Pete's next show." Ta-da. That's all it takes. You just have to go out there and do stuff, right. and you get these opportunities. Yeah. Make yourself known. Carry. <laughs> I was about to. So Pete has a podcast that I listen to all the time, and he was talking to Kate Micucci, and she's a ukulele player, singer, comedian, mm-hmm. actress, um, and she got a huge gig because she was just tuning her ukulele, and somebody asked her to play something. And so the thing that they kind of took from this is carry your ukulele, you know. Carry your deck of cards. Right. Do your stuff whenever you can, and you you know you just get hit with opportunity. Yeah, and then you can zoom out of that even farther and just be out, go do things, and you get exactly what you were saying. Life happens when yeah. you're making other plans. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the biggest piece of advice right there is leap, and because uh, you can always go back home, I guess you know if you have to. Yeah. Um, the worst thing that can happen to you is not that bad, yeah, right? That's right. There's no such thing as utter failure. And there's no mistakes. It's just lessons. 
Yes, exactly. You know, and, and the same thing in the in the doing a card routine. You know, you drop the card or something. There's a lesson there. You know, you didn't fuck it up because that guy's going to be gone in, in t- ten minutes anyway. You're going to get another person. You do it again. Yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. Don't you know? That's the whole. Don't take the the failure or the thing that the fact that the trick blew up on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and say, "Oh, I'll never do that again." Well, you know, you're shortchanging yourself. Get us. You know. He fell off the horse. Get back on the horse. Yeah. No, are you that? Or you're never going to get back on the horse. Yeah. So, best that you get back on the horse. But there's no mistakes. Um, there are lessons, and some of them aren't very pleasant lessons. Some of them are are tough. I was just listening to Brian Regan, who's another you know, one, another yeah. huge comedian. Yeah. Um, talk about how when he was getting started, maybe two or three years into it, he had good material, but he had like a week where he just bombed consistently. Uh-huh. And he was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then he had one good performance that was really good. And he goes, oh, no, this is why I'm doing it. This is how, you know, this is why it was different. The, you know, he was able to understand what all of those, quote, unquote, failures were. Right. Learn from it. And now, you know, every every stand-up who's ever done work since him knows who he is and has been influenced by mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's the same kind of thing. You just have to go out and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more places to do comedy than there is to do magic, and so you have to get creative a little bit. But and that goes back to what we were talking about, not having a place to be bad. Right. Magicians don't really have... You can't go to an open mic and be as readily accepted as a magician as you can as a comedian. Right. Um, so there's old folks' homes. There's sorority houses, apparently. <laughs> um, and and this was a favorite. I wasn't looking for money, but I think they do have an entertainment budget. Some mm-hmm. of them do. They may not be very big. Who gives a shit? If you get 50 bucks to go in there to, to, to do a bunch of tricks for 22-year-old girls that are all beautiful, how bad can this be? Yeah. You know? Um, Especially if you get to chant their name. <laughs> yes. Just chant her name again. Okay. Um, get out there. And go. And that's what, she, you know, she's talked, told me, go get caught. Because it's the only way you're going to know where the weak point is on the thing. So when I get to that point again, uh... Is that how lucky? What year is your Honda? Okay, fine. I mean, just did a, a, a convention over in uh, Bristol, Day of Magic, and I was walking around the dealer's room, and then some guy had the uh, the butterfly, pa- you know, butterfly pass. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you have it. I don't know. Oh, nice. Can I show you my pass? He said, yeah. You know, my pass is pretty invisible too. Thank you. Um. Um. So did you go to Louisiana Tech? Yeah, that's what I thought. Ask him a fucking question. <laughs> that's all you gotta do, you know? Yeah. Hey, how'd that look? How'd that look? If you if they're staring at this, you're doing this wrong, pal. You don't need you know you, a visible pass. Uh, Dara Dingle used to say a, a pass is just cutting the cards without them noticing. Yeah. When you break it down to that, you're going, oh, okay, yeah, but but how do you how do you get that you know the gravity pass and Aaron Fisher you know that's great I mean and I don't take anything away from any of the, the technicians and, and Aaron's one of my favorite magicians to watch because um, he has such soft sleight of hand he, you know, he's not doing anything it's just so nice but uh, it doesn't have to be but there are other other methods other that, methods of doing that just ask yeah. him a question that that, that, tie, you know, that he has to process and think about for a second then come well you can just straight up cut the cards when you ask somebody a question too absolutely that's all it takes yeah, yeah. Whoa, that was good 
I almost dropped the car three times during the performance, <laughs> and the last one that came down, it did blow up. But um, anyway, um, yeah. So the guy with the, the, I just left him sputtering, the butterfly pass guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. How much is that, 35 bucks? Yeah. Are you from around here? Boom. Yeah. I go through all the bullshit, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's not all bullshit. And that's another thing. I said that one, I used to say it in one of my lectures. Uh, and then after you do that, you can go on and bore him with your favorite Ed Marlowe trick. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, was, I was called on that. Yeah. You know, there's a psychologist that came up to me afterwards and was up in Michigan and he said, you know, for some people that's what magic is. Yeah. It's a stress relief. You know, Eugene says magic has many rooms. Yeah. It does have many rooms. You got the collectors over here, you got the guys here, the crotch magic guys, you got the technicians that you know that he's a pediatrician or a, the, the the orthodontist or something and he just does it for stress release. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um Putting someone down for doing their favorite marmolatry. There's an internist there in in Aspen, who has all the shuffle techniques and all the Marlowe stuff, and you know that's a, that's what he does to just go away. And yeah. He's entertaining the girls in the in the in the office and you know some of his patients and stuff. And he's a serious serious student. Yeah, that's fine. He's not out there for entertainment. He's not trying to make money doing this thing. Mm-hmm. It's just something for his you know you know mind to do. Um, so. It's hard for me to put somebody down for whatever you know realm of magic they're in, just because you know, it's not the same as mine. Yeah, you know. But I make a living doing this, and uh, I understand that it's about entertainment rather than technical skill and you know the quality of cards you got or the whatever what color the back is or anything. It doesn't. All that stuff doesn't really matter. To me, sure. You know. So. Well, I think for me anyway, because I'm one of those soft sleight of hand technically proficient mm-hmm. folks right that also loves to perform and loves to create the experience and the reason that i like that soft apparently effortless sleight of hand is because if it's my character which is someone who's about creating a pleasant experience that feels effortless and like everybody's in the same place and you know it is about creating that sort of thing so i like to have nice decks of cards so that I can say, you know, oh, it goes with what I'm wearing or, you know, it makes me feel good. And, sure, sure, sure. You know, it's a yeah, way to... Again, yeah. it's hard for me to put this down. I don't get it. I don't I don't subscribe to it. But sure. obviously, a lot of people do, and so that's fine. I mean, I just... I'm, uh, right now, I'm wrestling with, you know, Christian Schenk wants me, you know, would like me to switch over to Phoenix cards. Well, do you know how many bicycle cards I have? <laughs> I mean, I've got a drawer full, and they're all cataloged, and they're all suit-wise. Because yeah. I usually, I didn't do it today. I should have. Well, I stuck her card in the ceiling. But usually the card that goes up and down, you know, all that you know, all that stuff. At the end of it, I do that Bert Allerton's uh, um, 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 alphabet thing. But you, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll show you something here. Um, and I give them the card. So I destroy a deck every time I, you know, I, I destroy the integrity of a deck. Yeah. Is there a trash deck over here? Uh, any deck from this side will be fine. Any deck on this side? Yeah. Um, oh, let's use it. That's fine. You can use those. Okay. Well, Just I, put the real ones away. <laughs> is this the real one? That's the real one. Okay. I'll put these away so there's no confusion. Your name's on this side. Now you do this on the back, but I did on here. It says, good luck. My name of the day. Now take this card home with you tonight. Put it under your pillow. Tomorrow one will be a $5 bill there. Be sure and tell someone at the house what the nice magician told you at the, at the show. Okay? <laughs> and remind them I could have said a 20.
Yeah. I'm just trying to make the magic work for you, okay? You know what? I don't think it's going to work for you. Do me a favor. Just leave the window open this much so I get my fingers in there. I promise I won't wake up the cat. I'll be real quiet. Right. And that's uh, and that's the end parentheses. I've done the, the end of the show. Here's the thing. Thank you very much. Lights come up. You know, music's on. We moved to this, something different. Yeah. But that little little thing there, you know, is uh, and this is on the L and L tapes. You know, I, I, I hope, luckily nobody, not a lot of people are doing that that I know of anyway. Um, but that's again, you know, freezing the moment of magic mm-hmm. that Mr. talks about. Um, giving them some tangible piece of the thing to remember the night that's going to go up in the refrigerator or go in their wallet. I can't tell you how many times people come back in the tower, you know, back in the glory days, and they say, you know, you remember that trick you gave me? I got, I got the card right here. Yeah. Carry it with them. Yeah. Because it's good luck from the magician. Shit, man. You know, why not give them any as many opportunities as possible to make this memorable for you? If nothing else, like you know, short of giving you money, I'm going to give you a card. Yeah, and in the meantime, I've destroyed the integrity of that deck. I can't use that deck again until I go home and open up the drawer and find the other Ace of Hearts in there, or Ace of Diamonds in there. Yeah. So I go through a lot of cards, switching over to Christian's Phoenix cards. They're nice cards, but I like the idea of everybody knows what bicycle cards look like. Sure. Everybody does. Even these girls know what they look like. Yeah. You know, you come up with some swirly new, you know, design on the back. They may not care. I don't know. Yeah. But I certainly can't give away a deck of Jerry's Nuggets and go back and get another one because I don't, you know, so I've got, you know, so I'm sort of locked into red bikes, you know. Sure. And that's perfectly, I mean, yeah, that's something that we talk about all the time is the fact that you you can't just, you know, go out and be a worker with all these fancy custom decks. Yeah. It just, it's cost prohibitive and. Right, right, exactly. So. So I go to Costco and buy my uh, buy my bicycle cards that way. And you know, but these are significantly different cards, aren't they? Yeah. There's a big difference. Yeah. I still don't think these things are worth like seventy five dollars a deck or whatever the whatever the going rate is on the thing. On the Jerry's? On the, yeah, the original Jerry's. You know, seventy five dollars a deck. Well, I don't haven't know. looked in a while. <laughs> I, I, they're they're five hundred. Five hundred a deck. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Okay, great. More power to you. Now, <laughs> then again, you have to find the guy that has the 500 that wants to give you that for this, okay? So, I mean, actually, this is worth a million bucks. Go find the guy. Yeah. You know? um, so I'm always kind of smile when they say, this is worth, okay, man, man. where's the guy? I yeah. want to see that guy because I got some land I like to sell him to. Yeah. But, well, that's, yeah, that wasn't an arbitrary number. That's what we have sold many Jerry's Nuggets for. $500? $500 a piece. So how many how many have they got in the warehouse? A handful. A handful. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess at five hundred they don't have to. There's a rent payment. Couple out the door. Yeah. Um. And they're certainly nice to play with. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, this is a really a superior deck. This says chicken on it. Yeah. Chicken nugget. I see. That's what the deal is. Jerry's nugget. I see. I see. That's how you could tell at a glance if they're. How the hell can he tell from there? They, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, much different. Yeah. They're a lot more stiff. My carpal, punnel, uh, my carpal tunnel thing is the beginning of this thing. 
I gotta take a leak in the middle of this thing. You wanna put No, I we're we've hit two hours. If you feel satisfied. Hot diggity. Yeah. I feel well, great. You're the guy and I got you're the guy I gotta satisfy. Well, I, I well let's see. What time is it? It's three forty five. Um Um let's see. Let me think for a second. Um I'm doing four, starting on the uh let's see, let me get my calendar going here. Uh, the sixteenth of October I'm gonna be at Denny and Lee's. Uh, the 18th of October, which is a uh, Tuesday night, uh, I'm in Philadelphia at Mark D'Souza's place. Uh, the 22nd, I'm in New York City uh, at Tannins. They close the early afternoon, and I'm gonna we're gonna hang out there and play for the afternoon. And then the next day, Saturday, uh, Sunday, the 23rd, I'm gonna be in Boston at Diamonds Magic Shop, and this is an intensive. Um, as Elliot and I were talking about, we, I, I sort of don't have the desire to do a club lecture and haul all that crap around. I want to sit down with a bunch of 10, about 10 to 15 people who are interested in what I'm talking about, and we can actually sit down and put, here, I'll be your right hand, you'll be the left hand, I will walk you through the different shuffles, my, you know, all, all the stuff in, in my repertoire, and whatever else you want to talk about. I give four hours, you know, and it's a hundred bucks. And you get a uh, DVD, the card into glass, which is the $50 value. And no, if you already have it, I'm not going to knock it off. It's 100 bucks. Just turn it on and sell it to your pal. But um, so limited to 10 to 15 people. And you know, you will walk away knowing how to do certain techniques. Um, some of them are, you know, push through shuffle, up the ladder cut, double lift, top change. Um, I cover all these things in detail, and I work with the people, and you know, so that you sort of get the idea of what it is and bring your skill level up. And I got obviously I got tons of stories I can tell. I can we got uh, we can uh, reach into my magic bag. What do you want to know about? I'll talk to you anything whatever you want to know about. And so, um, to me, these are a little more fulfilling than um, the club lectures, where you know, basically a lot of hobbyists, and it's just. Um, they're just there for a night of entertainment. I'm, I'm, I'd like to really make this instructional as opposed to uh, superficially just showing you a bunch of tricks and hopefully you buy them at the back of the room, you know? So anyway, that's uh, those, those dates in October 2016. And um, if you're in, in within the sound of our voices, call Mark D'Souza, Denny, Tannins, or Dan, Diamonds and uh, figure out what the, what the deal is. Cool. There's a plug. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doc. I really appreciate it. You bet. It was great talking to you, Elliot. I, mean, I appreciate it. Hope the uh, hope somebody listens. You know, sits through all this. I'm I'm sure everybody does. Oh, I'm sure they're they sitting on. I bated breath. Two hours. This is two hours you can't get back now. So you're on your own. <laughs> Hopefully, they were doing other things while they were listening. <laughs> yeah, please. In the background. Keep me in the background. Anyway, I look forward to crossing paths with people. I'm doing uh, you know conventions and tours here and there. So um, if you Listen to this. Come up and see me. Introduce yourself. Thanks for coming. Thanks Thank for having me. Thanks, Doug.